Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How you doing, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. It's great to be back for another episode, and today we'll take a look at the original Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which aired on 1240 AM WGBB in West Babylon, New York, covering October of 1991. Joining me, as always, my co-host, the former managing editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the wrestler inside wrestling, other newsstand magazines all those years ago, former executive editor at WCW Magazine. He's a writer, wrestling historian, musician. What else can I say? Bob Smith. Bob, how you doing today? I can, I can whip up a mean falafel, too. How you doing, John? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good, man. We uh, have so much uh, going on. And also uh, joining us, uh, Alex Robertson, a reporter for SlamWrestling.net, radio producer for CJAD800 from Montreal, Canada. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you guys? Excited. I'm excited. What about yeah, me you? Too. So, oh. much, so much going on. So much going on. I cannot believe what we have in store for everyone today. Oh, it's going to be a fabulous show. But I also, I just want to really go over, because we, we finally got up and running, I mean, uh, not just for the patrons, but our, our show is now distributed everywhere. And that was such a burden. And the anxiety level was so freaking high. But uh, we are up and running. We're getting a, a great response so far from everybody out there listening to this. And uh, just to give you an idea, I mean, uh, where listeners are coming from. I mean, I get reports now. Uh, on a daily basis from uh, Megaphone, which we're distributed on. Uh, so United States, obviously, you know, a big amount of our listeners, 81% of them. But we also have United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Germany, El Salvador, the Philippines, New Zealand, India, Finland, Denmark. So those are, you know, it's pretty cool to have people listening to us from around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like my twenty three and me profile that I just did. All those countries <laughs> that you just named off—that's great. Yeah, it's a, a fabulous. I'm waiting for some Italians, some real uh, authentic oh, yeah. Italians to to listen. Come on, Italy, join the club. <laughs> uh, and our and our platforms. Are, I mean, we're everywhere. I mean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Chrome, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, Castbox. A lot of these I haven't even heard of. Uh, Downcast, uh, people from Safari tune in, uh, Audible, iHeartRadio, Roku, we even got listeners from. 
uh, Stage Fright, Player FM's, uh, Google Podcasts on Android, Podcruncher, and there's so many I'm not even going to read. But, I mean, you literally can hear the show uh, everywhere now. John, can I get it on my 1954 tube radio yet? I don't know. We're working on it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> the old RCA ain't what it used to be. Yeah. But uh, we're coming into our own here and uh, we're so excited about everything. Uh, before we really get started, um, I, I do want to talk about Patreon. I mean, uh, it's very important, uh, which helps fund the production of this show. And uh, you get the entire archives of Pro Wrestling Spotlight on Patreon. All the original, uncut, unedited shows are there. You'll have access to each new podcast several days before their release. So we we drop a podcast every Friday. Uh, but on Sundays, the Sunday before we drop it publicly, uh, the patrons get the podcast. So they have access to it uh, a full five days before. And the other tiers on Patreon, we're scheduling another uh, Zoom or StreamYard uh, a video call with some of the uh, upper tier patrons. We have uh, vintage eight millimeter films that are going up all the time. Uh, we mail out vintage wrestling magazines from the sixties through the nineties. There are levels for all budgets. They start at just five bucks a month, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And Bob, I think you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, this past week, I uploaded some very rare uh, stuff from 1972. No, that's a long time ago. That's 49 years ago. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of 1972, and that is the year my favorite wrestler of all time, well, actually my second favorite, was a WWF tag team co-holder of the belts. And I'll let you guess who that was. But uh, 72 was the oh, – you know what? 72 was the year that WWF came on television for the first time in the Albany, New York area where I was from. We had had – Pedro Martinez's uh, federation before that. And it was the first time I'd ever seen, you know, Pedro Morales and Dick the Bulldog Brower and George Steele and all those guys. So it was a big, big move into the big time when I was a kid in that very year. That's amazing. And uh, in this particular uh, uh, uploads, I have uh, sound with uh, Pampero Furpo. Oh my goodness. And the Grand Wizard and uh, uh, Albano and, so many others. And then we go to the Olympic Auditorium uh, for some 1972 audio as well. Uh, so that's great. And and the next upload is featuring uh, Bruno San Martino teaming up with Pedro Morales uh, to do those uh, matches before the angle takes place. And they eventually wind up meeting at Chase Stadium. So all of that goes up for patrons, uh, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And we'd like to say hi to some of the patrons out there. Uh, Richard Land from Yorkshire in the in the UK, Kevin Cesack from Akron, Ohio, Jamie Wallace from Niagara Falls, New York, James Anslow from Wolverhampton in the UK, Andy Toth from Chicago, Illinois, Dave Claroni from Michigan, and Jared England from Findlay, Idaho. And we always have to say a special hello to the executive producer level. There's only one of those. And that, of course, is Jer Jeremy Priest. And, uh, and those are some of our patrons. And a quick update on the upcoming schedule we're planning out for the rest of the year. We're catching you up on these first few shows that catches everybody up in just a few weeks. We'll be caught up. So it'll be 30 years to the week. And each and every episode will feature uh, coverage of a show that happened 30 years to the week ago. So 
But anyway, Bob, we have uh, some amazing guests for today's show, which covers October 1991. During that month, we had so many great guests and uh, a lot of explosive stuff happened in October of 1991. Uh, I, I wrote it down. October 1991, the month where nobody was happy. No, no. <laughs> there I was mean, so much controversy, and we're going to hear about a lot of it on yeah. this show. Yeah, we had uh, – I mean, that was one of the – Months where, uh, as you said, no one was happy, but it made a lot of news. I mean, uh, our coverage and when Eddie Gilbert came on our show uh, to talk, and we'll be listening to some of those clips we'll get into. I mean, that really made headlines across all of the newsletters at the time, front page stuff. Uh, And then we, you know, had Buddy Rogers on again, Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller. And of course, we talked about the series, uh, the first series of matches between Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, which also got us in trouble. So mm-hmm. we got a, a full show tonight. Well, putting this one together made me happy, made me sad, and it made me angry. I mean, how a certain federation could botch things up to the level that it did. Uh, I, won't let, I won't let the cat out of the bag right now, but holy smokes. I mean, the amount of talent squandered in 1991 by a certain major federation is mind-boggling. John, do you agree with that? or? Oh, I, I would have to say yes. I mean, you were talking about a, uh, a match made in heaven that really turned out to be a match that really ended up in hell, if you look at it, because they didn't do it right. That's exactly right. And so, I uh, actually was speaking of the other group, which oh, was... The, oh, yeah, they screwed up, too, with yes, what happened with I mean, uh, our buddy I mean, Paul and, and Eddie. I, I, and Eddie, wow, holy I, I have some handwritten notes here, and I'll vent later about the, yeah. the absurdity of October 1991 and what yeah. was taking place right then. Well, uh, why don't we get to it? Uh, exciting show. It's great to have you both here again uh, for another week of this program. And I think the listeners have a lot to look forward to today. Let's start it off. Let's let's get into it. Uh, in, the, in, the, in this show, uh, the show was from October 6, 1991. It's episode number 130 for you guys with scorecards at home. And uh, the Survivor Series scuttlebutt was the talk, uh, along with the Hulk Hogan versus Undertaker championship match. Eddie Gilbert is going to join the show, and it's really great. But the first, the, I, I just love Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert was Memphis Wrestling 1A, right after Jerry Lawler. Nobody like him in the world. And the first clip is Dave Meltzer, the noted wrestling journalist. He's going to talk about breaking news about the Finnish Saharian trials, which was on our steroid show, as you may recall. Mm-hmm. And he's going to talk about the Hulk Hogan in Florida and possibly establishing a wrestling commission. So let's jump to that clip right now. Dave, are you with us? Sure, I am. How you doing, John? Good morning, Dave. It's a little bit, uh, it's 9 o'clock there on the West Coast. Yeah, a little after. And, uh, of course, uh, this week in professional wrestling, uh, in this week's Wrestling Observer, uh, I did not uh, receive the Observer yet, uh, but this is a story that uh, we've been talking about for a while and uh, some new... Uh, documents have been uh, released. Uh, this is, um, I guess, more evidence from the Zaharian trial. And can you please uh, uh, fill our listeners in on just what's been happening uh, with the uh, new uh, documents that have been released uh, from the Zaharian trial? Well, this isn't really, um, um, I guess, this isn't really anything new or anything that, that, that John and I haven't known about yeah. uh, for a long time. But um, what what's happened is, is uh, uh, we've gotten... Just, uh, just some of the evidence that was uh, from the Sahorian trial, linking uh, several names, and it just, uh, it just uh, records some um, Federal Express shipments from um, Dr. Sahorian 
um, to 37 different, well, 43 different wrestlers that are identifiable, and 37 of which were uh, at one time or another in the WWF. Um, and that's, that's really the, the major thing, but it details several shipments to Hulk Hogan, to, to Vince McMahon, to Roddy Piper. Um, and, you know, the, the names that were in the trial, uh, it, it just details the, the names that have been mentioned in the trial, really. Yeah, uh, but the trial, of course, uh, everyone said that Hogan uh, certainly was, uh, his name was raked through the mud. That's what he's been saying, uh, certainly on, on many of the programs, especially this week promoting his new movie, Suburban Commando, and uh, still uh, just uh, alleging that uh, the only time he had used anabolic steroids was during a rehabilitation period. Uh, he said after he won the title in 1983, now he actually won the title in 84, first and foremost, but... Uh, it seems to be a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just it doesn't seem to gel as far as what's been released publicly and uh, the story that he's been saying. Well, first of all, um, and I've seen the uh, the different tapes on Arsenio and, and what he said, Hogan has never admitted it to use of um, anabolic steroids at any time because the the injury rehabilitation, okay, there's, there's a confusion. Mm -hmm. um, um, within the media, and it's never really been brought out, but uh, anabolic steroids are not used by doctors for um, injury rehabilitation. I mean, that's not their, their medical usage. Um, they're used for um, kidney disease, breast cancer, um, osteoporosis. Um, there's, there's several medical reasons, um, medical um, uses of anabolic steroids. Um, steroids that are used for injury rehabilitation and injury inflammation are you know things like cortisone. So, and Hogan said he used a mild legal prescribed steroid for injury re rehabilitation, which would be cortisone. You know, which would be that, that that's something that would be you know for a muscle tear or for a, a muscle inflammation. It, it, that would be something that you would use cortisone for. Um, and I think that uh, um, that that's kind of what's known in sports is invoking the Bosworth defense because. Uh, what, what happened was, if you remember Brian Bosworth at the University of Oklahoma, when he failed a, an anabolic steroid test um, and was kicked out of the Orange Bowl by the NCAA, you know, his claim was that it was he had used the steroids for injury repair. And then, you know, most people would go, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe it was legitimate. And, and what happened was is the steroids that you would use for injury repair, like cortisone, don't even show up or are not even banned by the NCAA. So it's like... Um, the Bosworth defense is like, you know, totally false. Now, in the case of Hogan, he never claimed he used the anabolic steroids. But in the subject of anabolic steroids, he brought this up. So I don't know if, if he is just, you know, I don't know if he's trying to confuse the issue or he's just talking about something different. Mm -hmm. As far as the, uh, the records go, um, as, as I should point out, um, these are records of Federal Express packages sent by uh, Dr. Zahorian, and there were there were several packages sent to Hulk Hogan. Uh, we can't say that those packages contained anabolic steroids or, or anything else, exactly. um, because that's what the trial was about, and, and Hogan wasn't in the trial. Right. But that is what the subpoena was about, and the charge was about was about these packages. Um, so you know, that's no, no one could no one could prove what was in the packages. Uh, you know, no one can prove that at all. Uh, but they were sent to uh, various people, and unfortunately, the story just won't go away. And uh, we do understand that uh, down in Florida, uh, there'll be the story uh, that'll be breaking out of there. That I guess uh, will it go into any any more detail than what you've been uh, publishing, Dave? Oh, as far as the uh, the attempts to uh, regulate 
pro wrestling in Florida. Yes. They're going to have a, a hearing on, on um, November the 5th in front of the Florida legislature to discuss uh, establishing a commission in Florida. And they're, they're as, as you know, in New York, New Jersey, many states, I think there's 21 states that have commissions. Uh, but this would be a commission that would include random um, computerized um, anabolic steroid testing, testing for hard drugs, um, and it would also impose, um, if, if the legislation goes through, um, also impose penalties for false advertising, which is not no-shows, but no-shows that the promotion should change. And, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, major promotions have been very guilty of this. And also, um, that would uh, have a performance bond um, to make sure that a promoter doesn't walk out on a, a building still owing money to the building, as has happened uh, in June. Um, on Herb Abrams' show there. Mm -hmm. So um, there's several regulations that, that are based on things that have already happened in wrestling in the state of Florida. Um, and I'm not sure what the odds are of the thing passing or anything, but I know that, uh, yeah, they're going to have a hearing in November. I, I can't imagine Herb Abrams leaving a building too soon, can you? That's really wasn't his M.O., was it? He was no, not up, at all. up front, honest, and... Just a you know impeccably uh, yeah. respected promoter and on-air personality. Well put, John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be haunted by him. Uh, oh gosh! But, no, yeah, I, some some really cool stuff there with Dave. I mean, you know, Hogan just really from Arsenio Hall putting his foot in his mouth, and you know, uh, this thing just kept snowballing and snowballing. I think I think the Arsenio Hall show was the biggest moment of this whole time period because everybody looked at you know everybody in the business kind of sat forward in their seats and said huh what are you talking about and one way or another and right. he he really i don't know if he ever fully recovered from that in a lot of people's minds at least adults you know at least at least older wrestling fans no i i have to agree with you yeah i mean because he he could have really put an end to this and just say hey listen I've been a regular steroid user, as been most people in the business at that time. And, yeah, you know, you get forgiveness when you admit to something, but you don't cover it up and say you used it just three times for therapeutic purposes. He could have ended this thing, but then it just continued and escalated and escalated. And it just really it, – it really was the reason, too, if you look at it, for all of the ster uh, the sex scandal stuff that started to happen. Yeah, everything just snowballed. But yeah. It seemed like there was another story every day, didn't it? Oh, it was like all the time. And uh, even when McMahon had that press conference, I mean, uh, he didn't know what Hogan was going to say on Arsenio. I guess he would have, he, you know, if, if I was the guy's boss and say, listen, we're in a jam here. Come clean. Just come clean. And then we turn the page on it, and then we do damage control, and we start a steroid policy, and and then we all continue on with our business. But that's not what happened because of his lies on Arsenio. And the major problem was that people started focusing more on the wrestling news than the wrestling itself, and the ratings started to suffer. And here comes a pitfall. Here comes a downward spiral. Yeah. And there's nothing anybody can do about it at that point. Attendance started dropping. You know, kids were not uh, being allowed. You know, there was a lot of uh, erosion of the TV ratings and live attendance. And a lot of this uh, stems from uh, that month of June and July of 1991. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's time to listen to a, a familiar voice and a tremendous guy in uh, Eddie Gilbert, um, who we all miss terribly. I know you do too, John. Yeah, I knew him since he was a teenager. I mean, uh, at the wrestling fan conventions in the 70s, uh, WFIA conventions, the Wrestling Fans International Association, was where I first met Eddie and his brother, um, uh, Doug. At the Doug, time. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was always um, a genius, in my opinion, on the booking side of it. And as a performer, he was wonderful. And he was in a you know, he was in a kind of a spiral himself here. I mean, he was wanting so much to take control and to be a booker and to help with the creative side of wrestling. And he, he got little taste of it here and there. Uh, but I don't think we ever saw the real potential of Eddie Gilbert because he never really had that uh, opportunity to fully uh, control a booking committee uh, for a lengthy period of time. I do not understand wrestling promoters who don't look at a person's track history and go, I need to use this person in the way he's best suited. I, I think he was very upset with WCW in that they didn't use him in the way he wanted to be used at all, not even close. And it's, it was a situation where you could kind of hear the frustration in his voice, but he, in at least this first series of clips, he remained kind of hopeful on this, on this show. You know, I think he had hope that things were going to straighten out in the future and that, you know, he'd be given an opportunity to do what he really wanted to do. Why he wasn't a heel in WCW is behind, but he was a fantastic heel. He drew money in Memphis. I mean, yes. and Memphis is the place if you can draw there, I think you could draw anywhere. Uh, that's been proven a thousand times. Yeah. Uh, Memphis was a uh, great territory. And, and, and I think when you look at the historical value of the clips we're about to play in the Eddie Gilbert uh, segment, they're very, they're very, historical in the fact that he probably uh, well he held nothing back but his shoot on guys like Jim Ross and WCW and everything that was going on with Paul E and Paul E you know as we'll discover in the show the uh, the issues that took place and the suspension I mean he just let it loose and and that's what created so much uh, so many headlines from this program uh, but it really turned the show in a direction that it had not been to up until this point where someone was saying the things that Eddie Gilbert were saying on this program and, and the repercussions spread across the wrestling world uh, immediately after the show was over with. Yeah. And that's, that's going to happen in, in the show after. The yeah. The next, it's right a now. series of shows. It's like this month. So actually. it's like this first show is Eddie in a good mood. Yeah, 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 and then and, we get you know, into all the all the stuff. Actually, called you and told the listeners to write down their questions about anything they wanted to talk about, and he said he'd shoot from the hip and tell them the truth. Yeah, and I'm like, who does that in 1991? Nobody, Nobody but him. Nobody. Nobody. So uh, let's listen to uh, a, a guy I miss greatly. I, I got to meet with him uh, a few times as as you know in my PWI days, and I also had an opportunity to. Uh, sit down with him when he was working with ECW and uh, I miss him. He, he should be around today and he should be a major, major force in professional wrestling because nobody knew more. He was born into the business. He was a great performer, charismatic, good looking guy, healer face. Good, good, he could do it all. He, and he could talk. I mean, yes. who was, he was, you know, he was slightly smaller than some wrestlers, but that shouldn't count against him. You know, Roddy Piper had to kind of deal with that factor, too. 
at least when he started out. And then look at the guys today. Look at the performers today, men, men and women, both. I mean, uh, there, there are people of all sizes in wrestling excelling today. Absolutely. So let's hear from Eddie Gilbert. Uh, Eddie, I'd like to uh, start off a little bit now. Uh, last night on um, WCW and on, on Jim Ross's uh, 900 number yesterday, uh, he uh, alluded to the fact uh, of a situation that's taking place in WCW right now. Yeah. Uh, they're doing an angle right now with uh, Paulie and Missy getting together. How do you think Paulie feels about that at this point? After- uh, I'm sure Paulie probably doesn't much like it. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the politics of the business, he goes along with it. So yeah, it was uh, it was done pretty well. They had a piece of it on the NWA Pro New York last night, and uh, just kind of the first segment of looks like an ongoing uh, series of clips uh, with uh, Paul Lee and Missy together, and uh, Jim Ross yesterday on the hotline saying that they were uh, seen in a hotel in Secaucus, New Jersey, and uh, they're playing it up pretty well. So it should be some interesting uh, interesting TV coming up. Yeah, well, I think they're probably messing with Jason Hervey a little bit, too. Uh, he's pretty jealous, so we'll see what happens. Uh-huh. Is she uh, she still seeing him, as far as you know? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's go uh, right on the phones here. Now, uh, Eddie, you told everyone out there, you wanted me to make an announcement before you came on, that uh, they can ask you anything, and uh, you'll do your best answer. Don't pull any punches, people. Just ask. Okay. And uh, Dave from Lindbrook, you're going to be first here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Yeah, I got a couple questions for Eddie Gilbert. Go right ahead. First of all, what part did Jim Ross play in the breaking up of his marriage? Do I know? I'm sorry, I can't already hear him. Speak so. up a little bit, please. Okay, what part did Jim Ross play in the breaking up of his marriage? What part did he play? Yeah. Well, he uh, he uh, uh, introduced Missy uh, one afternoon. One day, uh, uh, they had dinner together, and he introduced uh, introduced her to a uh, Atlanta Falcons football player, mm-hmm. which started the demise right there. So. Okay. That's it. Uh, do you think that Jim Ross could be a capable booker by himself? Not by himself. I think he has a lot of good ideas, and uh, uh, he knows how to put good TVs together, but I don't think by himself, no. Okay, a couple more. Um, did you ever have any dealings in your time with um, in the WWF with uh, Dr. Zahorian? Did I have any dealings with him? Right. Uh, not exactly. Right after my car wreck, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to check in with him from time to time, but I didn't have any, like, dealings with him, no. Okay, and... Um, the situation that's going on in Puerto Rico now, would you be willing to work there for the rival promotion? I don't think, uh, well, with the rival promotion? Right. Uh, no, I don't really care. I don't really, uh, be honest with you, I don't mind going down to Puerto Rico like on a weekend or something wrestling, but going down there to stay, I really don't like it. So, no, I wouldn't uh, really like doing that or anything. Okay, Dave, listen, we got to run and take some more calls. A lot of people calling in now uh, here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And, uh, we're going to get on the phone right now uh, with Mark from Brooklyn. Mark, you're next. Yeah, what's up, Eddie? Hey, man. We love you, and Well, you're wrestling. You know, you're cool, man. And I wanted to ask you, right, um, before, right, when Ole Anderson had gotten the booking job of, uh, you know, WCW, Yeah. I know you wanted to be booker, right? What yeah. ideas did you, like, have as, you know, when you wanted to be the booker? Well, that, that, that I really won't discuss because I still have the same ideas, and, uh, I don't know who's who really is listening to this show or, or anything like that. And uh, uh, if I'm ever going to be the booker, become booker there, those will be my ideas, and that's what I'm going to do. And I really don't want to let the cat out of the bag right, right now on that. I'm sorry that I asked. If you can understand that. Yeah, and, um, you know, you have these ideas, right? How about, like, take them to, like, uh, I don't know, a GWF or a uh, USWA? What, the, excuse me, say it again. The ideas, you know, that you have, why don't you take them to, like, maybe a smaller promotion? 
Yeah. Well, I was, you know, I just recently, uh, a few months back, was booking for the USWA, and uh, I really don't want to use any of my, to be honest with you right now, I'm just laying low on ideas because uh, I want to save everything. My ultimate goal right now is to be the booker of WCW, so I don't want to uh, really do anything to jeopardize that at this point in time. He didn't want to jeopardize it, but uh, I I think our next clip is going to uh, put the show in jeopardy, if you recall what's about to happen, John. Mm. Well, just getting to the stuff that Eddie talked about there, too. I mean, that was, you know, that first caller with asking about, did Jim Ross have a hand in breaking his marriage up? And, you know, he answered that they went out to dinner and he introduced her to an Atlanta Falcons football player. I mean, you know, you could just leave that to your imagination on what happened after that. And uh, I mean, you know, I think that was a uh, you know breaking point for Eddie and Jim. I mean, that was really a personal issue there. And, uh, and then of course, going into the other stuff. Um, but Eddie was, Eddie was shooting from the hip, which was kind of cool. He, even for your show, he was unbelievably yeah. open. Wasn't he? It's just, he was surprised he, he answer me. any question right then. That, uh, very, very surprising that he was that, uh, forthright and, uh, shooting, uh, with everyone who asked yes. the question. He just didn't, didn't even hold back uh, on any of this stuff. And uh, and then, you know, Zaharian, you know, who knows? I mean, he said he saw him after the car accident and he didn't have really de- dealings with him. But uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't uh, put that question aside either. He answered it. And you could read between the lines. Right. So anyway, the, the show continues and Eddie's yeah. answering questions and everything's going fine. Yeah. And then this happens. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Herb Abrams on the line. What does he want to talk about? He wants to talk to me on the air? Ask me if he wants to go on the air. Sure that's him? Make sure it's him first. It is him. Okay, we'll bring him on. I have no uh, I have no cause with that. Uh, uh, he's on line number six. Eddie, are you there? Yeah. Okay. We're sure. here with Eddie Gilbert as well. And uh, you, ever meet, you ever meet Herb Abrams, Ed? Never. Never talked to him. Okay. Well, let me know uh, what's going on here so we could uh, continue our conversation. Eddie or Herb or what's going on? I'm sure if Herb's calling in, it must be something important. <laughs> Hello? I would like to speak with you off-air, then on-air. Off-air, then on-air? Okay, we'll have to wait for the uh, news break, I guess, in another five minutes or so. And uh, we will certainly accommodate Mr. Abrams from the Universal Wrestling Federation. Okay, so, uh, Eddie, let's take another call for you here. Uh, we'll go to Eddie from Queens. Eddie, meet Eddie. How you doing, Eddie? Johnny, hot stuff. Hello, Eddie. All right. How you doing, Johnny? I'm all right, man. All right. Good to hear from you. I got a question for you, Ed Stir. Check it out. All right. Um, I don't want. I want to know. Like I was thinking about getting into wrestling, right? Yeah. But you see, I'm. I, I bruise easily. I'm the kind of guy that opens up faster than the Christmas present. You know? Hey, what turn you your mean? radio down, okay? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I open up faster than the Christmas present. You know, I bruise easily. You know? Yeah. I'm thinking about getting into wrestling. You know, uh-huh. but I cut easily. You know, I see you guys being able to take punches in the face and things like that. But you know, I know me. You know, I bruise easily. What should I do? Uh, stay out of wrestling. <laughs> 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 That's the answer. There you go, Eddie. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's take another call before the news break here. Tony from Glencove, you're next. Yeah, good afternoon. Three, question, uh, three quick questions. Uh, Eddie. Yes. Are you for or against uh, in, in, uh, federations wrestling against each other? 
such a, you know, uh, combining federation. Like, are we talking about, like, uh, for pay-per-views or big shows or so? Uh, right. Let's start off uh, small things to big things, like uh, NWA wrestlers going against uh, WWF wrestlers. Well, well, I think it's a, I think it's a hell of an idea, especially for uh, uh, pay-per-views. I think uh, uh, I think Anoki and Baba's done it once or so, run a run a big show to help each other out. I think if uh, uh, that's a uh, that's something we're missing here, uh, if if guys would uh, put their pride aside a little bit, then uh, we could have probably some of the biggest pay-per-view audiences and money that's ever been drawn uh, between WCW and WWF, even if it's just an annual once a year thing or something. So yeah, I'm for it to be honest with you. If it, it just means more for our business and uh, more hype and better off for wrestling. Okay, listen, thanks for your call. We'll take one more call for Eddie before the news break. Scott from Wanta, first time calling here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, question. Well, you know, I noticed the last few weeks on WCW they're uh, alluding to the former identities of all the wrestlers that are now in the WWF. What do you uh, think about that? What's that all leading to? Well, uh, you know, my personal opinion is that you're just, uh, I, I think you're alluding to last night on uh, WCW Pro New York when they said that uh, Lex Luger cleaned up with Mean Mark, who is now the Undertaker in the WWF. Uh, they also brought up Flair's name again last night. Um, they're just trying to get they're just trying to get their own product over and saying that hey these guys came from uh, WCW I feel well they're also being sore losers yes <laughs> I guess well, they they well, got a lot to be sore about well I mean I'd uh, got to remember I have as much respect I have respect for both organizations and and uh, uh, but whenever they start uh, by throwing little things that, that guys like Ric Flair uh, who I really uh, have had my problems with in the past personally. Uh, but I have the most admiration and greatest respect for him as a wrestler. And people like Mark Callis and Sid Vicious and so forth, who, who jumped the fence and went over to the WWF to make more money, uh, I think it's just being sore losers when they talk about them that way. WCW ought to be worried about uh, uh, drawing bigger houses and making more money than uh, worrying about guys uh, jumping across the WWF. Uh, a little bite at the hand that feeds you, eh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once again, him being straightforward and honest and and uh, but the thing that I kept going back to as I was listening to the clip was Herb's interruption, Herb Abrams interruption. Yeah, hey, I was going to ask you about that. Um, uh, you must have been, as they say, taken aback at that moment. Yeah, uh, it, it isn't the first time that it happens uh, in upcoming shows. I mean, I think Herb was getting increasingly desperate because of his situation and what was going on with the UWF and. He, uh, as we'll hear in this, but then, you know, he, he continues it on. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I begin to get really uh, upset with him uh, for calling in because uh, he knew when I was on the air uh, and especially in future weeks uh, when the show was going through uh, some incredibly hard times financially to keep it on. Um, he, uh, he called the station and tried to take this time slot over himself, as we'll hear. Uh, in future weeks. But anyway, that was that was the, you know, as soon as I heard the Herb Abrams voice, I started like uh, I just started running through all this stuff in my head about what was coming up. You know, my my head is exploding. Yeah. I, I was around during that era, too, as you know, and my head is absolutely exploding because it's like desperate little guy. Yeah, I think really desperate in many different ways, as history has proven. Yeah, so Herb uh, weasels his way in uh, in several sections of this uh, episode today. Yes, he does. So uh, let us go now to see what exactly, well, it's Herb Abrams being Herb Abrams. Exactly. 
Hello, Herb. Yes, John, how are you? What's going on? We're on the air. Well, first of all, I'd like to say it's uh, always a pleasure to be on your show. I think it's probably the finest wrestling uh, talk show on the air today. Well, I certainly appreciate and that. And it's certainly an honor to be uh, on the other, to have Eddie Gilbert on the other line. Eddie, and nice to meet you over the telephone. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, let me first express some of the thoughts that are running through my mind and some of the things going through the UWF, and then I'll like to make a little comment to Edward about uh, something uh, that he may be interested in. The first thing that I'd like to first say publicly is that I'm quite appalled. Uh, Friday night, I, I, I guess I knew that uh, Mr. Hogan was going to be on television, but uh, I happened to be switching the channels because I prefer Jay Leno myself, and I saw Hogan come out in his suburban commando outfit, which looks very nice on him. But what I was appalled about was when Arsenio Hall asked Hulk Hogan, uh, and I, I think it's pretty close to what he asked him, what is the difference between acting and wrestling? And Hulk Hogan remarked, there is no difference. And I heard that, and I just, first of all, I couldn't believe what I heard. And then he said, uh, wrestling is sports entertainment. And he reiterated that number of times that he goes in the ring to make his fans uh, uh, be happy with what he's doing as he does the same thing on the screen. And then, of course, Arsenio Hall, I think, was a little surprised himself and started asking a little more elaborate questions, which I don't even want to go into about blood and such. My statement to that and my uh, feelings are, number one, if, if, if Hulk Hogan wants to say what he says about the World Wrestling Federation, that's fine, because there's no question in my mind and the, and the minds of other fans across the country that the World Wrestling Federation is nothing more and mere other than sports entertainment, and they do that quite well. But the Universal Wrestling Federation, as I have stated so many times in the past, was developed and brought about by myself, Bruno San Martino, Lou Albano, some of the greats in the wrestling world, for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to determine a real, true world heavyweight wrestling champion, uh, which we have in, in right now in the likes of a Dr. Death, Steve Williams, because everything that goes on in our line of business is not uh, purely sports entertainment, and I take total offense to that statement that Hogan referred to wrestling, quote, unquote, as being sports entertainment. And I think that had he said World Wrestling Federation, I, of course, would have been delighted and it would, and it would not have bothered me. Okay, Herb. Uh, I'm quite offended by this, and our attorneys are right now looking into the matter, and I'm sure that uh, Mr. Hogan, Mr. Arsenio Hall, Paramount Communications and such are going to have to deal with this matter. All right, so you say, Herb. not going to let go. Herbie. Spending the last few years <laughs> developing the Universal Wrestling Federation. Herbie. Yes, Jonathan. Uh, so obviously I rate about that, but let me ask I you a quick... A little it. too much coffee this morning. I'm sorry. A little too much coffee this morning, huh? Actually, Edward, I haven't had coffee at all. <laughs> Okay, you <laughs> two martinis, vodka three martinis. Three olives and three onions. All right. All right, so and the second topic you wanted to bring, uh, talk about was uh, something that uh, I guess you alluded to on television a couple of times and uh, were sent uh, faxes by Titan Sports to uh, uh, quit referring to uh, Mr. James Helwig, of, uh, professionally known as uh, AKA the Ultimate Warrior. Now, do uh, you want to give us an update on that, Herb? Well, quite frankly, we really didn't want to disclose any of this information, but what's happened is, is that we went on national broadcast saying that uh, the Ultimate Warrior could possibly be entering the World Wrestling Federation. The World Wrestling Federation? Uh, after all, excuse me. <laughs> uh, could be entering the Universal Wrestling Federation. Back in martinis. Well, up upon that uh, telecast, we immediately received a, uh, a letter and uh, facts of such commentary uh, by the World Wrestling Federation, which, uh, not to go into the detail as to what was in the, in the, the, the contents of those letters, 
But in any event, uh, our attorneys are working on that. We've certainly responded to that. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's, it's public knowledge that the Ultimate Warrior is not working for the World Wrestling Federation actively right now as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. Whatever is going on between there is strictly their business and no business, quite frankly, of anyone else. But, of course, people speculate. In the wrestling business, as you know, you may speculate, we may speculate, other promoters may speculate, the fans may speculate, and certainly these, um, these, uh, these wizards that use their pen and write all these, these, uh, these uh, whatever you call them, these sheets. Everyone else speculates. The fact of the matter is, most people... You don't like the sheets, do you, Herb? And the truth is what we've always strived for. Truth okay. and justice, uh, the American way. Just like and justi justice will prevail. You like that. Mm. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that, yes, in fact, we have been negotiating with James Helwig and talking to an individual. There's nothing wrong with talking to an individual. Reminds us, of course, Amendment Number 1 of the Constitution. Freedom of speech, yes, right? Yes, we are speaking with Mr. Helwig. Yes, we are interested in Mr. Helwig. And yes, we may get Mr. Helwig, a.k.a. the ultimate warrior. Which is, you know, I mean, if he comes with us, fine. If he doesn't, that's fine, too. But uh, this, these tactics of uh, back and forth, it's pure nonsense. I can go back and say that when we had, uh, we received letters from them about Andre the Giant and that they had an exclusive contract with Andre the Giant. Well, Andre the Giant worked for the Universal Wrestling Federation and has a contract with the Universal Wrestling Federation. In fact, we played a show this past Monday, just to give you an example as a contrast with this Hellwork situation, we played a show Monday on national television where Andre the Giant was being interviewed by Captain Lou Albano. What was that tape? Andre the Giant says on national television to Lou Albano, Yes, Lou, don't worry, I will be with the UWF. And he says this on air himself. So, in fact, the tactics that this organization uses is strictly, uh, uh, you know, intimidation tactics, and uh, we certainly will never step down or take a step backwards towards them and the way they do things. Well, it's certainly almost uh, like a David and Goliath type of uh, confrontation, though, Herb, at this point. It's not even a question of a David and Goliath. Kind of, if, we, if we make a comment or we say something, uh -huh. and uh, uh, we obviously get some type of response from it, we naturally have to defend what we say. Right. Uh, Any time in the wrestling business, John, and you know this, including like with Ric Flair, everyone Woo! is doing what they think is best for their business. And uh, we have been very successful in securing certain talents uh, where we have built up our organization, where well, we've got some, I, I feel, very competent talent, and the talent that, and we've made a public challenge. Our champion, Steve Williams, has made a public challenge. Well, Dr. Dr. Death, Dr. And the Universal Wrestling Federation has also put up at stake $100,000 if either one of these two men could beat hundred grand. Steve Williams. Herb, 100 grand? Absolutely. Would you like to step into the ring? For 100 grand? I'll go on there. I, 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 I would get, I would get, I would get, step into the ring. You've got to beat him. I'd like to go into the ring with you for a hundred grand. It'll be to do that? sure. Well, I tell you quite frankly, I don't think you got much of a shot. Come on, Herb. It's a uh, if I if I win. Did you see what if I, I did win, to Mr. Red? Yes, you threw I that. Think you should watch that tape over again you, before you make those comments. You threw that cup of water in his face, and of course you were wishing it was something else in that cup. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it, it may have been something else. I may have just said that. Not <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Okay. So, but uh, I wanted you, you know, I give you... In any you... event, if Mr. <clears throat> Gilbert would like to vie for that $100,000 against Mr. Williams, he's certainly welcome to step into the ring with Eddie, you want that 100 grand? Uh, well, let me say, uh, he brought up a, a good thing over there about uh, uh, challenging the other champions and uh, uh, his champion, Mr. Steve Williams. First off, 
if I was going to start a wrestling organization and I wanted someone to be my world champion that I was going to challenge other champions with, uh, it'd either be Dr. Dead Steve Williams or uh, Rick Steiner. And, uh, definitely uh, great here. Definitely got the best man as a champion. Steve Williams is a very, very good friend of mine. And uh, that's the reason why, if you'll think back to 1987, Rick Flair never really wrestled Steve Williams but a couple of times because he didn't really want to wrestle him. He was scared of it. And, and there's uh, no question about uh, no that. One, no one is going to step in the ring with Steve Williams because mm-hmm. uh, he is a true, true and, uh, quote, wrestling champion. Uh, he'll, he'll hurt somebody in a second. So uh, yep. he's got a good champion there. Well, See, we no. appreciate that, but uh, I'd like to know if you'd like to uh, just take that. Uh... <laughs> he just said he was well, good I'm, friends hey, look, with him. I'll tell you this, if that's what you're saying. I mean, I, I've never backed down anything in my life. I mean, I'll, uh, yeah, I certainly would try it, uh, but I know that you've got the best man as a, uh, as a champion. I know I'm not a coward, and I'm not chicken anything, hey, I whether I it comes to booking or wrestling. So, uh, yeah, I'd be willing to take it, yeah. Wrestlers, uh, in the business today as well, and uh, uh Starting, I think, in February, we're doing a tournament for, I'm not quite sure, but I think you're about, <clears throat> what, 225, 230, maybe? Yeah. But uh, we're doing a thing for the light heavyweight championship, and I think you'd be an ideal candidate to carry that uh, coveted clown. Well, I'll certainly uh, hook you guys up with numbers in case you don't have each other's number. Herb, we have to uh, uh, run here, take our next commercial break, and uh, lots of calls on the line for Mr. Gilbert. We appreciate you uh, coming on the air with us and giving us uh, your opinions on what's going on in the UWF. It was my pleasure. I wish you both a very nice weekend. Thank, Thank you, you, Herb. Minya. But, uh, hey. Is he gone? He's gone now. Thank God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Had those vodka martinis happening. Oh. Heavy duty, double fisting him. <laughs> well, I thought he was going to talk about the uh, the way I've been saying that his... Uh, it's been uh, I've been criticizing as far as uh, some of the things I've been watching on his television. Well, I just thought he was going to talk about something worthwhile. Yeah, well. I think he just wasted some of our time. So. Yeah, I know. Thank God, says Eddie, o- Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, what a bizarre, bizarre segment that was. And uh, I think Herb uh, alluding to the fact that he didn't have any coffee, but, you know, perhaps something stronger. I mean, I, I could recall conversations with him where he was snorting coke on the other line. You could just you could hear it. Uh, and, and he was just out of line. And, um, you know, I was going back and forth because I, I was really getting sick of the guy. I mean, because I did so much work for him uh, when he launched the company, uh, launching it at my convention in 1990, setting up and promoting all of the New York uh, initial shows for him in January 1990, 91, uh, and, uh, you know, doing a hell of a job for him and then getting were, checks that bounced and all of that. Were those the shows at the hotel? At the Penta, yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. They were I all my listeners. They were my yeah. listeners. I mean... Uh, I know they were. Yeah, absolutely. I and, was ringside at those shows. Yeah, and then, uh, and then you know, there was a snowstorm, which, uh, which is, we had a wrestling fans uh, convention uh, and, uh, on the day after a snowstorm, and attendance was down, and I got the blame for it, you know? Like, I can control the snow coming out of the sky, but I couldn't control the snow that was going into his nose. Um, constantly. Oh. Hey, listen, John, I, John, promo, I do declare <laughs> promo punches, you know, uh, because as you know, like I said, I don't listen to these shows until I upload them and I hadn't heard them in 30 years. And then it just brings back all of these memories that uh, that really quite uh, they get me a little riled up because of the things that he did and him calling in and interfering with my show and just calling unceremoniously and getting on the air and saying outrageous things like, you know, he still has Andre the Giant under contract and 
you know, he eventually sues a 14, he sues a 14 year old kid, uh, Andrew Goldberger, uh, because Andrew put something in a, in a newsletter that might have been read by 10, 15 people and Herb sues a kid. Uh, I mean, so the guy was out of control and he was uh, he was all over the place. And this segment proved it. And uh, yeah, so interesting uh, radio there with yes. Mr. Abrams. And Eddie was uh, polite. Yes, he was uh, probably more than he should have been at that point. Yeah. Um, so let's let's give Eddie his doing. We yes. have some short clips uh, of him talking to the fans and having some really interesting answers to their questions. So let's hear more from Eddie Gilbert. Your feud with Cactus and the matches that you had with him, Eddie, uh, certainly uh, uh, candidates for feud of the year, brawls of the year. Uh, we're watching the video. Have you seen the videos of any of those matches? I have not seen one of them yet. Uh, well, you'll be, getting, you'll be getting a copy uh, soon. We've been uh, editing this week uh, all the matches that you've had with Cactus on one tape. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Bob Wire, the two out of three falls, the falls count anywhere. Uh, the first one you had in Ben Salem, uh, that that first really yeah. wild one. Yeah. Uh, they're going on one video, and uh, we're going to send you out a copy of those because those were certainly some uh, some great great moments in pro wrestling this year, uh, especially when you broke that bottle over Cactus's head and. Just yeah. Well, you see, you know, we talk about the situation me and Cactus, and like all the people understand this, if uh, and it all goes back to the controversial way that I left WCW in 1990. If uh, and, and things I really believe happened for a reason. If I hadn't left there in 1990 and uh, went to Memphis and uh, became Booker and had to prove to myself that I could still do it and to the people uh, and to uh, have the, uh, the things going on with Jerry Lawler the way I did, hitting him with the car, uh, the angles that we did there, and I, w I wouldn't have got the chance to uh, go to Philadelphia and wrestle Cactus Jack and all those matches. If I had stayed in WCW and been a good little boy, I just would have been buried. And, uh, of course, I would have made it some good money because I was under a good contract. So... This whole uh, past year and a half has been a great experience for me, and I really believe I made the right decision. And I think this time I made the right decision in not returning to WCW and uh, going ahead and uh, laying low and, and wrestling for the Global Wrestling Federation right now. Well, you certainly opened up a lot of eyes and ears in WCW this week with a uh, cry uh, to Cactus at the last Joel Goodhart show re referring to a, uh, a part of your anatomy that you wanted to... Uh, an executive vice president of a major organization to kiss. Well, I sent, uh, they sent me the plane tickets to go to uh, the first TV taping. It was in Sioux City, Iowa, and so forth. And a week before that, I received a phone call from uh, the WCW office, and I won't say who from, but uh, it was like they were acting like General Patton, telling me that if I came back, well, I would be, uh, uh, if, I, if I did everything they told me to do, and if I came back as a baby face, quote, baby face, uh, and did whatever I was told, it'd be good for me in the future, maybe three or four months down the road. And, and if I didn't, well, I could expect the worst. After I got off the phone, uh, I realized that uh, once again uh, I wasn't going to get the, uh, the break, I think, and thought I deserved because when I left there I wanted to prove to them that I was worth uh, the money, I was a talent worth looking at, and I saw once again I would just been spinning my wheels. So uh, I turned them down. I went to work for a Global Wrestling Federation. I also sent, though, the plane ticket back to Jim Hurd. Mm -hmm. And also with the plane ticket, I sent him a video uh, tape back of me wrestling as a heel. Yep. And also a letter saying the only thing I'm asking is let me come back as a heel. And I never heard another thing uh, from him about it, not even a phone call, letter, or anything. So uh, I think that everything uh, towards me and WCW right now is very personal, and I think that's a bad way of doing business. Yeah. Uh, person, uh, when personalities conflict, and uh, but you certainly have something to offer to any major organization, Eddie. Uh, one of the, uh, in our opinion, one of the most brilliant minds, creative minds in pro wrestling. 
Uh, we're going to get back on the phone right now. Larry from LNS Comics. Hi, how you doing, John? Hey, Larry, how are you? Okay. Uh, a couple quick questions for Eddie. Actually, it may not be too quick. One, um, I've been collecting almost, I, I collect a lot of different wrestling tapes, mm -hmm. uh, specifically the Memphis stuff, especially with you on it. Now, I have a whole, one problem is, what exactly was the background behind the new Fabulous One gimmick, which was when you and Tommy Rich became the Fabulous One? Okay, uh, explain what... it lasted such a short period of time? Why did it last? You know, how come it went such a short, time? short period of time? Okay, and you said background on it. Do you want to know why yeah. or how it came about? Yeah. Okay, um, whenever I was leaving the WWF, uh, well, I knew that uh, Vince Jr., that what he was going to do was to branch out and everything, and, and I knew Bob Backlund wasn't going to be the champion anymore. And, of course, that being my gimmick, being his protege, I knew that meant that I was probably going to be uh, probably buried there, and I thought to be the best career move was to leave and go back home to Memphis. So I called Jerry Jarrett and uh, wanted to come back to Memphis and had a starting date to come back uh, in 1984 to be a heel because uh, I knew that when I started in the business, that's all I wanted to be, and I thought that was my calling. So uh, everything was set up for me to come back to Memphis as a heel. And then as I, when I got home on a Monday night, Jerry Lawler called me at my home in Lexington here and said that uh, Steve and Stan had walked out, fabulous ones, and he was trying very hard to put together uh, they 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 were just uh, the office the Memphis office was arrogant enough to think all they had to do was put two guys together and call them the new Fabs and they would pick up where Steven Stan left off. I was real edgy about the idea in the first place and they wanted to put me and Brian Adias together first. We were supposed to be the new Fabs first. Then Brian walked out a week later. Uh, I don't know what I think his deal was over money or something. Tommy Rich had just quit Atlanta over that situation of uh, him supposed to not wrestle again or be retired after a match with Buzz Sawyer. So they brought Tommy in. They put us together as new fabulous ones, as everyone knows. And the whole thing was, uh, from the beginning, was not right. And me and Tommy knew it because you can't just step in and fill somebody's shoes that, that got a gimmick over. Tommy had gone off and made his own name for himself as Tommy Wildfire Rich, former NWA champion and big star on Atlanta TV. And I was still young in the business, and everyone knew that I'd just been to New York, and but they knew me as Eddie Gilbert, not as a fabulous one. And Steven Stan had not really gained any recognition uh, as Steve Curran or Stan Lane, and they did as the Fabulous Ones. And here we were trying to step in and take their place. The people didn't accept it. We knew it, and it was actually our idea to cut it short, and that's when uh, uh, we did the uh, angle where I turned on Tommy and we split up the Fabulous Ones. Oh, wow, because that, that was a phenomenal piece. I mean, I've, wa I've watched that over and over, mm. and that's a fun period. I mean, I don't know, you know, you're saying that you really didn't enjoy that period of time, but... Well, it was, it was hard because when we were going to the ring, you know, we had to... We, we're the ones that had to hear the people saying, oh, y'all are not the real fabs, and we knew it, and we were just doing what the promotion was telling us, and we knew how hard it was going to be, and we just didn't feel comfortable because Steve and Stan were our friends, and uh, we thought that the promotion was was just trying to, like, stab them in the back and get back at them for leaving by giving us the gimmick, you know, so we didn't really enjoy it at all. Okay, and then the second thing is, uh, uh, then we have to go up a few years after that. Wow. Uh, just how much of a hand did uh, you have in training well, when you brought in the Blade Runners to UWF, because I have their first couple of matches from Memphis, and they were stiff as a board. I mean, they might as well have been mops because they were terrible. Yeah, what I did was... Uh, and like six months later, things actually showing a few moves, and I, and I felt that it had to be because of your, you know, your training or something. Yeah, what I did in Alexandria, Louisiana, they, uh, that's where we all lived at that time when uh, we were in the UWF, and uh, Sting and, and uh, uh, Rock Bolt or Jim Helwig, whatever you want to call him, uh, we're both living there, and uh, Steve was one, though, that went over to the building most of the time. They had a coliseum there, 
that they usually left the ring up in because uh, there was nothing going on sometimes. And uh, I'd go over there in the morning and uh, work out with both Sting and uh, Rick Steiner at the same time because uh, he had just come in too. And uh, But uh, usually the Warrior never did come over there. He came over a few times. But uh, Steve uh, would really practice a lot of his flying maneuvers and so forth. But a lot of the, a lot of the situation where, where Steve Borden and uh, Rob Ricksteiner, or Ricksteiner, whatever you want to call him, learned was the times that we rode them down the road together, and I'd sit in the back seat and prop my head up in between them in the front seat and explain to them uh, about the business and, and tell them not to try to uh, plan out their moves before they go in the ring and wait till they get in the ring and see how the people are accepting them. And uh, and just calm down and relax, and that's where I think both of them learned most most of their stuff was just listening and going up and down the roads. Yeah, because that that turned out to be that's another fun time. Yeah, you know, I happen to like watching that period of time. Also, there was one other wrestler you had at that time named Korchenko. Yeah, you know, whatever happened to that guy? That's a funny story. I really like to tell that one because that's a hilarious story. Uh, uh, we were in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, one night, and uh, that's when Bill Watts had come out of retirement. And uh, we had a match in Jackson, Mississippi that was booked with Korchenko against Cowboy Bill Watts. I was managing Korchenko, and if uh, Watts beat Korchenko, he got five minutes in the ring with me. We got to the Jackson, Mississippi Coliseum that night, and uh, no Korchenko. And finally he calls uh, the payphone in the back back there, Grizzly Smith, who was the uh, road agent, or whatever you call it at the time, was on the phone. He calls me out of the dressing room. He says, uh, Korchenko is still in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which that was about 150 miles from uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Now, this was around 8.30 p.m. The match has started at 8 o'clock. And I get on the phone with him. He tells me he's in Baton Rouge that he's not going to be able to make the shot. I said, brother, if you want to keep your job, you better get in your van and come on now. So he wound up coming on, and uh, Grizzly Smith had went over and told Bill Watts that uh, Korchenko wasn't even going to come. So finally, Korchenko showed up. Uh, like it was 10:15, they held the matches up and everything. Korchenko got out of his van. Uh, his wife had, had driven him there. He was dressed, ready to go to the ring, had his Russian flag with him and everything. Uh, we go out to the ring, and Korchenko gets in the ring, and Bill Watts comes out and gets in the ring, too. They're introducing Bill Watts, and I'm looking up at Bill, and he's just got his fist, uh, just like, like hitting his other hand with his fist, and he's looking down at the mat, and I thought, oh, no, oh, no, he's going to kill this guy. And because uh, we had a great house, and Korchenko had almost messed it all up. Well, Bill Watts uh, locked up with Korchenko, grabbed him, tripped him, took him down, and put him in the sugar hold. And a sugar hold for those people out there don't know, I think Larry Zabisco and Arn Anderson are using it right now as a finishing hold. Well, it will cut off all the oxygen to you. It will make your nose bleed. He put him in the sugar hold. Korchenko uh, barely got to the ropes to get out of the ring, and Bill Watts was cussing him like a dog. Korchenko got out of the ring and walked clean totally, out of the building, out the back door, got in his van and left. The referee counted him out. I'm standing at the at the, at the ring watching my guy just leave the building, and I never saw him again. <laughs> never saw him again. He was gone. <laughs> I've never seen the guy, and, and, and he left his Russian flag there. Bill Watts tore it up. I went ahead and got in the ring with Bill, and we went ahead and had our little five-minute match there. But Korchenko ran out of the building, never to be seen again. Wow, that's a great story. Listen, that's a true story. That's thank cool. you very much. Thank you very much, Larry, for calling in. Yeah, bye-bye. Take care amazing amount of wrestling history in an eight-minute segment yeah uh it certainly was and um that uh caller uh larry spitz uh lns comics who um was uh, a long time long time sponsor of the pro wrestling spotlight from show number one and he stayed with us for most of the entire run of the show uh great questions by larry but uh, i do have to um make an announcement here. Uh, Larry 
uh, Spitz um, suffered a stroke, very serious, very, very serious stroke, where he, um, the entire left side of his body paralyzed, uh, affected his ability to talk. Uh, is in a nursing home facility right now. They're trying to get him home, and he has a GoFundMe page, which uh, uh, I certainly want to bring up here. Just uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to make a donation to Larry, and I know this is off topic, but hearing his voice and just being uh, really informed about this not too long ago, and uh, um, I was waiting for the right time to bring it up, and this is the right time. Uh, GoFundMe.com. Just search for Larry Spitz. Help Larry come home is the name of the campaign. Uh, they have a $30,000 goal. They've raised about $15,000. Uh, so please go to that. And if you want to link, uh, just email me, john at mattmemories.com. Uh, just a real big supporter of the show. We uh, did a lot of stuff together. And what an intelligent wrestling fan. And what questions that he had for Eddie. And Eddie, of course, didn't hold anything back. No, he did not. And, uh, uh, you know, we as wrestling people, as they say, well, we're a community too. And we, well, we have a lot of friends here and, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I hope people hear what you have to say. You, you want to spell Larry Spitz's name? Sure. Larry Spitz, S P I T Z Larry Spitz, formerly of LNS comics. And one of the most knowledgeable guys in the, in the early stages of, uh, wrestling action figures. I mean, he was right on the forefront of all of it. Uh, back in the 90s and uh, he was quite uh, he had quite a store on Long Island it was really a forerunner of many wrestling collectible stores and Larry um, was a just a diehard passionate fan and LNS Comics is remembered by so many of our old listeners at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight so why don't you uh, see if you can uh, help the family out and try to get Larry back home I think he's a long-term care facility uh, but, you know, th- those co- costs are enormous when it comes to home health care and helping people uh, with this type of uh, disability. Uh, GoFundMe.com, Larry Spitz, S-P-I-T-Z. And once again, uh, just email me, John, at MattMemories.com if you want a direct link to it. Nice job, John. Very nice. Um, let's get one more clip with Eddie, if that's okay with you. Um, oh, that's, that's fine. We're going to have him talk about uh, booking. Someone, someone asked him a question about booking, and he really doesn't pull any punches. So let's go to that right now. Who thinks up the angles, and how much input do the wrestlers have in them? Uh, when, when you say thinks of thinks of the angle, give me a specific, like uh, uh, just for any promotion, or yes, yeah, in, in general. Okay, in general, I mean that's usually the booker's uh, 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 job is uh-huh. to come up with the angles, but the smart booker will. Uh, 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 the wrestlers have an input. There are a lot of times good wrestlers that uh, with good minds, and they do come up with good angles, good finishes, and a uh, smart booker will always listen and either add or take away stuff from them. But uh, angles can come from the wrestlers and from the bookers, uh, but it's the bookers. Uh, I guess the booker is almost like an editor in a way, too, On a, if a wrestler has a good idea for an angle or program or a situation. And uh, but everybody has a little bit of input. Uh, just according to who the booker is, though. If the booker is not smart, though, of course he'll try to just run the whole show uh, himself. And sometimes I think that is a downfall of many, many bookers in our business. Are there um, many clashes of egos? Oh yes, that's one of the, uh, that's one of our biggest problems in our business right now. I mean, or it has been for years. Are, are the ego problems, and and all of us have egos. I mean, uh, not only wrestlers, but just people in general. Everybody in life has an ego. And uh, but of course, wrestlers have a lot of bigger egos, and 
And, uh, I mean, gosh, I, I'm glad I'm not the one sometimes that has to go into the room with Lex Luger and Sting if they wrestle each other and have to come up with a finish for them because you might be in there for two hours. Right. And uh, there's a big clash of egos all the time in our business, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Thanks for your call. 955-1240, Yui from Freehold, New Jersey, a first-time caller. Hi, Eddie. Hey there. I was wondering, would you ever go back to WWF? Would I go back there? Yeah. Uh, of course I would. If the situation was right, circumstances were right, and if I was, you know, in the right position, I mean, uh, I'm not ever going to say never to anything because, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about money and uh, the future of our business. And so, uh, yes, I would go back there, yeah. Have you been offered to go back lately? Uh, the last the last time I talked to them was when I, uh, back in the summer of 90, uh, whenever uh, they were thinking about a new producer for the primetime show and uh, for some of the wrestling shows. But uh, so far, I've just really had my eyes set on... Uh, to be very honest with you, I was so wrapped up uh, at the time with booking Memphis, I wanted to see it come up, and that had been one of my goals in life was to book Memphis because that's where I've grown up at. And uh, now, uh, just like I said a while ago, my eyes and my goals right now uh, are, are helping the Global Wrestling Federation as far as wrestling for them or some ideas. But my main goal right now in life and in wrestling is to eventually become Booker of World Championship Wrestling. And he should have been. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was missed opportunity there not having Eddie in that seat. I mean, who knows what could have happened. Yeah, and you know how the wrestling world goes. So if he had been successful, he might have been doing the same thing for WWE eventually. Um, or or anyone else. Anyone else. Oh, up. Yeah. yeah. It's such a loss. Um, yeah. I really liked Eddie Gilbert. He was a gentleman to me and everybody I know. I mean, I, I never heard anybody say anything bad about Eddie Gilbert. Um it's just a shame he's not with us right now. That's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, very creative guy. And uh, the last time I saw Eddie um, was probably, wow, uh, ECW early days before uh, he left. And then Paul took over as Booker when they, you know, with Todd Gordon and all of that. But mm -hmm. uh, it's very creative. And, uh, uh, you know, he had his demons as well. I mean, obviously. And um, I guess he passed in Puerto Rico, if I'm not mistaken. Um but um, brilliant guy. He put every drop of life he had, you know, he, he gave it all. And he, uh, he was kind of like a, a shooting star, you know, and he burned out way too fast. Great way to put it. I can't put it any better than that. So now let us move on. Uh, we we have not heard the last of Mr. Gilbert, though. I will. No, I will no. Now it really gets explosive. Yes, now, now the shit hits the fan, so to speak. Oh, my such language. Yeah. I guess we're not on terrestrial radio hey, anymore. They can, they can say shit on AEW. They can say shit on WWE. They say it on TV, you know. My so. stars, John. If I knew the language was this bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Alex, anyway. just, Alex just quit. Alex quit. There she goes. She put her hat on and walked out. It's just, it's just awful. What are we going to do now? I don't know what these buttons mean. Help. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay. Episode 131, October 13th, 1991. Oh, Paulie dangerously. You know him now as Paul Heyman. He had been suspended for WCW for WTF. Uh, yeah, for what WTF, right? Like, what was the real reason? Uh, he, he Paul was an outspoken guy, and he spoke his mind, and he was a smart guy. He's a genius to this day. And uh, they were looking for a reason to get rid of him, and they thought they had one until 
he decided to go after them. They suspended him for, I guess, was it unprofessional conduct or whatever? Uh, it, it really stemmed from it really stemmed from a leak uh, because they were going to do a cross promotional feud with the Memphis territory where Luger was going to face Lawler, and that's what we'll hear in this segment. I mean, that's what really started it, and then he got you know he he took the fall for it, uh, saying that he leaked a lot of the stuff and. And before you know it, there's a lawsuit, there's press conferences at the China Club, there's Eddie Gilbert going wild, there's the sheets putting it on the front pages, uh, and it all uh, really stemmed from uh, the comments that were made on Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which, you know, we have some explosive stuff to share with everybody, Bob. Yes, we do. And, you know, I listened to this show, this is uh, from October 13, 1991, Yeah. and I'll tell you what, I listened to it intently, and I still can't figure out why the guy got fired. But uh, right. let's go but to the he, clip. But we he have, prevailed in the end. Let's put it that way. Yes, he did. So uh, let's start with you, Mr. Uh, Rizzi. And uh, you're going to have a clip here with two of the great wrestling journalists in Don Liable and Wade Keller. And let's hear this roundtable about what's going on right then and there. In a way, maybe it's good. Maybe they'll finally have uh, uh, Flair and Hogan uh, the way it really should be. Uh, go for the, uh, the world the title versus title, so to speak. Very interesting. So yeah. What, what did you hear on Paul Lee now? Well, some more details. Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, let's get this press release out. Now, I first, uh, editorializing here, just from what I've heard about the situation, uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think there's no grounds for it. That's my personal opinion. But uh, we have re received a statement from Paul Lee Dangerously's attorney, Bruce Gold, and we'll read that to you right now. And this is, quote, this is a press release from Bruce Gold, attorney, New York City. Uh, it reads as follows. World Championship Wrestling has announced that they have suspended Paul E. Dangerously. The reason given for this action is the existence of philosophical differences. Mr. Dangerously asserts categorically that there are neither philosophical nor policy differences between himself and the management, employees, or agents of World Championship Wrestling, and that there are no valid grounds upon which World Championship Wrestling can base its unwarranted unilateral decision to breach its contractual relationship with Mr. Dangerously. Mr. Dangerously is distressed that for the second time, World Championship Wrestling is attempting to prevent him from doing the job for in which he was employed and is presently conferring with counsel to determine the appropriate legal response. He is prepared to explore all remedies available in response to this illegal suspension and the resulting damage to his professional reputation and the goodwill associated therewith. Any further statements will be made from Mr. Dangerously's attorneys. Of course, Paulie is the, uh, this, that's end quote now, of course, Paulie is the host, uh, co-host of WCW Pro New York, the Power Hour, WCW Wrestling on Saturday nights on TBS, also co-host TSN, Canada's Power Hour, and he hosted Danger Zone on the main event. So a lot of uh, responsibilities for Paulie, and now uh, indefinitely suspended. His contract runs out April the 2nd, and he's getting, uh, he's suspended with pay right now. Well, it's not such a bad deal, but with all the exposure he's gotten, especially starting to get in the New York market here, uh, it's just another blunder. John, uh, we were speaking uh, earlier this week about some of the reasons that they were being kicked around as to why uh, uh, he may have uh, been suspended. And right, well, let's do this, Don. Okay, stay on the line with us, okay? Sure. 
because maybe we could do this, turn this into a three-way. We're going to bring on Wade Keller. Wade, are you there? Sure am. How you doing? Not too bad. How about you, John? Pretty good. Wait, you know Donnie, right? Oh, for sure. How, Hi, how you doing, Don? Very good. We're just getting into this Paulie Dangerously situation, and uh, Donnie, I'm sorry, just continue your thoughts there. Well, we, there was something uh, around the point that uh, uh, in Memphis where they were going to have uh, a supposedly a title match with Luger and, and Lawler, and uh, some were saying that Paulie got the word out, but uh, you had heard other reasons. I, I really feel that that Paulie, as far as discussing this angle that was supposed to take place to unify uh, the titles, bring back the NWA, uh, the word was not out within the inside wrestling business. Now, Wade, you have as many contacts as anybody else in the business. Now, did you know about this angle uh, being leaked uh, before it was printed uh, in the Observer this week, or did you know about it before Paulie's suspension? Uh, I, knew, I knew nothing about it before Paulie was suspended on Monday except for what Jim Ross said. On the 900 line right. two days earlier, right? Um, which which makes the whole situation ridiculous that Polly is getting suspended for doing something that Jim Ross did on a WCW sponsored 900 line uh, two days after Polly supposedly leaked it, and two days after um, two days before Polly was suspended for it. Uh, it you know it it is pretty ridiculous. It 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 shows that Polly was actually suspended because. Paul Lee was a uh, marked man as far as Jim Hurd was concerned. Nobody's quite sure why Jim Hurd was out to get Paul Lee, but this just seemed like the means to get rid of him. That, my, that's my opinion, is that this was basically, this wasn't the reason Paul Lee was suspended, but Jim Hurd had another reason, and this was just a convenient way to do it. Yeah, either like a scapegoat or like you were saying, that uh, uh, maybe Paul Lee, uh wasn't in good grace with Mr. Hurd, and this was a way for Hurd to get back at him for whatever reason. Well, it's, it's probably a good combination of both. It's a good thing to bring up the scapegoat thing because Jim Hurd is was kind of on the spot. Really, the I would my opinion from what I've heard and those I've talked to, and there's a few people I key people I still want to talk to 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 kind of get a full perspective on this. But the culprit in this may be Jerry Lawler, and the innocent kind of dumb guy would be Jim Hurd just because he kind of fell into the situation and didn't realize um, that, that he's kind of being used and, and made the situation worse by trying to make it better. Yeah. Because uh, basically Jerry Lawler went into this uh, Lex Luger-Jerry Lawler idea, and it sounded like a good idea. Give Jerry Lawler recognition on TBS as a world champion. Uh, do the same thing they did with Kerry Von Erich. You know, all of a sudden he gets this more national exposure. And who knows, you know, star, you know being on Starcade. Which which was the tentative plan versus Lex Luger? I mean, that's fantastic to headline another pay per view show. Except you know, headline a pay per view show that some people are going to see. Mm-hmm. So it it seemed just great. But then all of a sudden, he thought, okay, if we kind of put the national ego aside and look at the no- local ego, I'd, I'm going to lose my title. I'm going to have no world title status ever again. No one's going to believe it. And all I'm going to do is get one decent payday. But all of a sudden, I become a small fish in a big sea and lose my status as a big fish in a small sea in Memphis. So word is, is that he pulled out. Now, he hasn't been returning calls um, uh, to, 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 uh, to the press, so I don't know what his side of the story is, and I, I'm going to try to contact him um, also over the next couple of days. Now, we also heard about Eddie Gilbert. This has affected his relationship with uh, the organization, uh, Lawler and Jarrett, and uh, that his dates uh, were canceled for this weekend, Sunday. That's right. In fact, he, I know he did not show up in uh, um, Nashville last night, and he was scheduled to fight Jerry Lawler, so they replaced him with uh, um, 
one of the one of the just regular guys. Oh, Billy Travis, Billy Joe Travis. It's crazy stuff. Hmm. What is that heavy metal music in the background? Um, Van Hammer walked in the room. Oh, did he? Yeah. Are you going to uh, the first night of the first annual Van Hammer concert tour, whatever it is, at the Army? Well, you know, I really want to. You know, I'd rather miss Thanksgiving dinner with my family to go to that. <laughs> That, yeah. you know, I have to get uh, plane tickets early, and uh, I know it's one of the busiest travel days of the year, but, hey, maybe if I just hop in my car and just drive down to Atlanta, Georgia, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I could wait online, and I'm sure I'll be the only one there for the tickets. Now, John, I, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of booked up for the first annual Baron Cicluna Golf Tournament in Asbury Park go. that weekend. So. Well, I think Jim Hurd woke up woke up on Friday night, saw that uh, WWF was getting all this publicity on Friday night videos, so said, well, we have to create a character that we can get on uh, night tracks on TBS. John, I've got three words for you. Mm-hmm. Jim freaking Hurd. Oh, yeah. Jim freaking Hurd. I mean, uh, Paul Lee was a scapegoat. Uh, there's no question about it. And he was pissed. I mean, he was like, he couldn't believe what was happening. And, uh, you know, my my part of this whole thing uh is that i got the attorney for paul that he hired uh it was a guy i knew in the music business in new york and introduced him to paulie because paulie was looking for a good attorney and and uh lo and behold i make that introduction and 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 uh the attorney represents paul i mean so uh uh, you know, that was my little piece of puzzle in, in this whole story. But Jim Hurd and Ross, I mean, it was just kind of this whole thing. I mean, it just blew up and Lawler didn't want to do it anyway. I mean, uh, and then Paul E is the fall guy. And then also then it, then it really affects Eddie Gilbert because Eddie Gilbert's best friend is Paul E. Eddie's defending Paul and he gets put in the middle of it and he goes ballistic, as we'll hear uh, on the next clip. You know, the NWA and early WCW was a great organization. And the problem with the wrestling industry back then is that they they had fallen behind the WWF in terms of ratings, points, and things like that. And they got so desperate that their programming became a mishmash of crap. Yeah. This is an organization. They drove off Ric Flair. They wanted to make Spartacus out of him. They drove off the Road mm-hmm. Warriors. They drove mm-hmm. off Jim Cornette. They drove mm-hmm. off Stan Hansen. Okay, mm-hmm. how do you drive Stan, Stan Hansen? They hired Billy Jack Haynes and make black blood out of him. I'm ranting and I don't care. Remember the ding dongs in the month of October. The ding dongs, yeah. In the month of October, okay. I the, the the month that these shows were broadcast on your in your station. This was the roster for WCW. The champion was Lex Luger, Larry Zbysko and Arn Anderson with the tag team champions. They just brought in Cactus Jack. They had Sting, Steve Austin. Dustin Rhodes, Abdullah the Butcher, Bobby Eaton, Ricky Morton, Doug Summers, Mike Graham, Medusa, Vader, and Brian Pillman. They didn't know what to do with them. Instead, what did we get? We got Van Hammer that we just talked about. We got the character Oz, which nobody yeah. wants to even talk about to this day. No. We have PN News, Johnny B. Bad, the Diamond Stud, another yeah. great booking decision. Those are the ones getting pushed. Right. Firebreaker <laughs> Chip and El Gigante, the most wonderful giant in the history of giants. I, I, I can't... And that's yeah. just aesthetically what was wrong with WCW. What was going on backstage was much worse, John. Yeah, well, it was run, it was run by a pizza executive. Yeah. Who was run by... Who, who was a friend of uh, Jack Petrick, I believe. Yeah, that's basically how legend tells that story, yes. I, I just, I, I it, it, it bothers Alex is me. like, Alex can't believe this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, no, it just, it, bo- it boggles my mind. They had talent. They had yeah. a lot of talent. 
And I, so, I'm speechless you know, at how I mean, bad it was. Today's business is so different in a lot of ways because it's um, it's more, you know, it's more corporate. It's more organizational. I mean, you do have, you know, the WWE is a strictly entertainment company and an entertainment brand and AEW, uh, you know, with all the money behind them uh, doing their things. But the business changed so much since, you know, since what we were covering, covering back in the 90s. Uh, and all this stuff and, and, you know, shows like mine would just kind of bring all this stuff to light and the newsletters like uh, the observer and the torch and Steve Beverly's Matt watch. I mean, we were just kind of reporting on all of these things that were happening and the wrestlers for the first time were having platforms to talk about the truth about what was going on and the mismanagement and the horrific booking and the horrific, pushes of individuals that should have never uh, been in those positions. Yeah. But you know, it was more than that though. It, 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 as bad as, as the product became, what we're about to hear in this next segment really opens up the fact that backstage, it was an even bigger mess it, yeah. with the people who were yeah. involved with creative with Jim Hurd, with, with anybody trying to get anything done that made sense. Yeah. Everything went to hell. And, and this clip, is a, it's a fairly long one, but I think it's it's so relevant uh, to what was going on in the day, especially when you have a guy like Eddie who just lets it all out. And it's historic in nature in so many ways. Well, of the four shows we've done, I have to tell you, this following clip, that right after we get done talking here, this is my favorite clip. Yeah. This is Eddie Gilbert fired up yeah. like crazy. Uh John and Don and Wade are still still there. All four of them are talking, and it's amazing. Where do you hear this? If you have never heard this, this is righteous indignation from Eddie Gilbert at his absolute best. Let's go to the clip right now. It's riveting. Let's get our guest back on the air. Is Eddie Gilbert around? Eddie's on the line, too? Beautiful. Okay. Let's uh, first get Wade. Wade, are you there? I sure am. Okay. Uh, we've been trying to uh, find out some information. Eddie Gilbert has been uh, uh, on a couple other radio shows this past weekend. And uh, How many guys can we get on the air at once? Maybe two or three? Don, are you there? Yes, I am. Wade, are you there? Sure am. And here we go with the feedback. Don, I'm going to put you on hold, okay? Wade and yeah. Eddie, are you there? Yes, I am. How you doing, Eddie? Just fine. Lots of things happening uh, once again in the world of pro wrestling, and uh, WCW has uh, made a blunder of uh, drastic proportions, in my opinion. Uh, first, I, I understand that there's been a problem with Kerry Von Erich that you've been you talked about on a couple other radio shows. Can you tell us what's happening with Kerry? Well, I just I mentioned it uh, yesterday morning on Joe Goodhart's show, and this was something that hasn't been confirmed uh, exactly. But Friday night at the matches, Gary Young came in and said that Kerry Von Erich was uh, rushed to a hospital in Dallas from a drug overdose. Now, I'm not sure if that's true or false. I just don't want to say anything to anybody upset either. Right. But uh, Gary heard it from a policeman there at the building. So okay. everybody can check that out to see. Now, Eddie, you were on this program, was it last week? Yeah. Okay, last week. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh and there was no mention at all about this Lawler situation with WCW. There was no mention at all. And here we, you know, Paulie's a good friend of mine. I know he's a friend of yours. And here's a man who, and I think it's cost you some bookings as well, over a situation uh, 
that I think there's no merit to. Do you want to comment on this on the situation that's developed this week at all? Yeah, I'm going to comment on it. Now, it's Wade hear me too. Yes, Wade is on the line. Okay, I want Wade to know too that I'm going to be talking to him later this afternoon about this situation. Also, and I want everyone to understand that I'm not going to be accusing anybody of anything. I'm going to be telling the truth. And uh, some people may like it, some people may not. But I, I'm, to say that I'm outraged is like uh, uh, just a small feeling that I have right now at uh, WCW, especially Jim Hurd. Uh, my feelings towards uh, a man that I had a lot of respect for up to this week and looked up to a lot in the business, Jerry Lawler and uh, Jerry Jarrett. And I think that the only thing Paul E. Dangerously is guilty of at this point in time is being my friend. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that uh, WCW has taken it out on Paul because of his friendship with me. I think they tried to, whatever this, this thing they have against me, I don't understand. They, they haven't given up. When Cactus Jack and myself were uh, supposed to be starting together there, and to be very honest with you, it was because of our series of matches in Philadelphia. Uh, everything was fine. Cactus was supposed to be starting back. Uh, he was going to get this big push against Sting. That's fine. And then all of a sudden, I got two weeks before I was supposed to start, they, they called me up. Magnum TA calls me up and tells me that I'll be starting there. I'll be wrestling Brian Pillman at, at the uh, Clash of Champions in, in a, a light heavyweight title tournament match. I was very happy. A week later, they have their, uh, their guy, Jim Ross, call me to give me this lecture, like General George Patton or something, and uh, tell me that I'll be coming in to wrestle Ricky Morton. And I knew then what they were doing was giving me a job, but uh, actually just uh, uh, tying my hands so I really couldn't do what I do best. And uh, now, since this situation has happened, it's no secret that Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett do not care for Paulie dangerously. Uh, I found out this thing. The only thing that I knew was that WCW was going to be doing a television taping in Memphis. And I called Jerry Lawler, and I was talking to him about my bookings in Memphis that we were supposed to be doing there. And I asked him, I said, are you, are you going to be wrestling Lex Luger in Memphis at the WCW taping? And he says, how do you know this? I said, well, I've got sources, and, and, I, and I found out. And he got all upset, and he said, well, whoever told you needs to be fired. And so from that, somehow, it got back uh, that Jerry Jarrett supposedly and allegedly called uh, Jim Hurd and called for the uh, firing of uh, Paul E. Dangerously. Now, how Paul E.'s name from me talking to Lawler uh, came up between Jerry Jarrett and Jim Hurd, the only thing I can think of is that either someone in the time that, between the time that I talked to Jerry Lawler, then Jerry Lawler called Jerry Jarrett all upset saying he didn't want to do the thing now, which I still did not know what the thing was they were going to do myself. I did not know that Jerry Lawler was going to challenge Lex Luger at the WCW taping. I didn't know how they were going to get into it. It was still a secret. They were still safe. Jerry Jarrett then calls up, and somehow or another, Paul E. Gets the, takes the rap for it. Uh, all the heat was put on Paul E., and Paul E.'s called in without them even checking out the story, without them even having proof that Paul E. had done anything wrong, suspended him for talking to Eddie Gilbert. And the only thing, if that had been true, if that were so, nothing had been done wrong. The only thing I had done was talk to Jerry Lawler and ask him if there was going to be a WCW taping in Memphis. And he said yes and got all upset, called the whole thing off. Well, also, 
the whole thing was last week, last Saturday on Jim Ross's 900 number, uh, they were talking about champions that were challenged by Lex Luger, and they mentioned Lawler as, as the only one that seems to have accepted the challenge from Luger. Well, okay, so, if I really so, get into this pretty heavy or anything, it'll be pretty bad, so I don't, I don't want to do okay. that either. I don't want to get you to it. You know, I don't want you to say something. Well, like I, maybe well, I don't either, either. but what, you see, this thing has really gotten to me because I'm really sick and tired of WCW and the things they're doing because if they would put as much energy and to worrying about what direction they're headed and to booking their TVs and booking their house shows as they do of picking out small little things like this. They'd be very successful, but they don't do that. They're very personal about things they do. They're very personal. They were very personal feelings involved in the Ric Flair situation when he left there. It doesn't matter what differences I've ever had with Ric Flair, personally or professionally. I still respect the man as a wrestler. And they got rid of him over personal feelings between himself and Dusty Rhodes. I feel, and I think that's probably the popular feeling with everyone, and or Jim Hurd's feelings for him. Uh, the situation with me throughout the past three years there with those people has been very personal, has not been business. If it, if it had been, I'd have been brought back as a heel and been used the right way, but, but no, it was very personal. Paul E. Dangerously being suspended was very personal. It is not a business decision. This man has very a lot of, a lot of talent. I mean, I, I mean, just not being my friend, I, I, I think the world of Paul E. Dangerously, I think that his talent is great. I, I don't see how they could even think about sending him home without even checking out the story or feeling it out. Now, you talk about Jim Ross, and this is a situation I'm going to be very, very, watch my steps in here. But the, what I want to say here is that I think that if there was like an internal investigation, let's say, I think that they need to be looking at people like him when word gets out. I think he has been, uh, he has used other people as scapegoats. I think that he has, uh, he has uh, gotten out of situations in the past by using other people to take the downfall. And he's also caused, I think, uh, in a way, uh, a lot of people's futures there. So when they start looking at people who got the word out or, or something like that, I mean, the, the whole thing, I, I talked to Lawler Wednesday, and I wanted to make sure that he knew that Jim Ross had it on the Saturday Night Hotline. I think that Jim Ross should be uh, reprimanded as well. You know, uh, nothing is ever talked about Jim Ross bad. No one ever questions what he does, and I think that people should start doing that. Well, Don Leibel certainly had an interesting letter in the torch this week about Mr. Ross. Uh, Donnie's online listening. But uh, just beside uh, that, Eddie, I know you, you're upset here, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, you know, I think the fans are upset over what's happened. Uh, I know even covering uh, wrestling each and every week, uh, when I found out what happened myself personally, I said, well, it doesn't make any sense uh, because you hear something on a 900 number. then uh, And also, people in the wrestling uh, media, guys like Wade Keller, uh, Dave Meltzer on the West Coast, uh, people who cover the sport and talk to people on the inside of it each and every week had no idea what was happening with this angle that they were building upon. So It was, it was a very well-kept secret. It was a well-kept secret is right, sure. yeah. So. Well, it was a very well-kept secret period, and what Jerry Lawler uh, actually did was he's actually the one, if we be very honest about it, that actually got the whole story out. Because uh, as, the, as this past week has gone by, and I've heard different conflicting reports and stories uh, out of Memphis and different people that have talked to Jerry Lawler, is the way I really feel. I think that uh, eventually he knew that he was going to be a beaten man by Lex Luger, any way you look at it, for a world title. And that he would not be, and I've heard these words that came out of there supposedly that he said that uh, he would not be the king of anything if he lost to Lex Luger. 
And uh, now people maybe can start to understand the story a little bit. I also uh, have heard supposedly that Jerry Jarrett may be waiting to see what happens with Jim Hurd's job come the first of the year. Mm-hmm. So all this then makes a, a lot more sense to me, and all of a sudden Jerry Lawler finding a reason to back out of the situation by uh, want to put it on somebody else's shoulders. Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett do not like Paul E. dangerously at all. If Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler decided that's who they wanted to take the rap, or if it was someone in the WCW office that decided they wanted Paul E. to take the rap, it was wrong. It's very personal. It's not business, and I cannot stress that enough. It's the inner politics of the business. You don't ever hear, and you won't ever hear, of anything like this happening in the WWF with Vince McMahon, and I'm not kissing anybody's rear in here. I'm just stating a plain fact. If you read Wade Keller's Torch, if you read Dave Meltzer's Observer, if you read Steve Beverly's Matt Watch, and any other newsletter out there, when you read about the WWF, you don't ever hear or see or read anything about internal problems with any of their announcers, with any of their uh, uh, system bookers, anybody in their office, because it's run the right way. They're all worried about the direction of the company. They're not worried about cutting each other's throat. In the WCW office, everyone there is after each other's throats. On that steering committee right now, the reason why the committee won't work now, it hasn't worked in the past, is because that everyone on the committee wants to get ahead of each other. They're not worried about the direction of WCW, and they won't ever be worried about it. And that's what the whole problem with the situation is. It's personal. They want to cut somebody's throat. They want somebody to take the rap for it. They're not solving their own problems. And it's a, it's a catch-22 situation, too. I agree with everything Eddie is saying, is that people would not try to get ahead of each other if the company was doing well and they respected the current leadership. The problem is is that nobody respects Jim Hurd, and a lot of people do not respect Dusty Rhodes in the direction he's going. So, of course, everybody else in that company with any, with any aspirations to become some sort of a pr- promoter or booker or leader, everybody in that company thinks they can do a better job. And when that situation occurs, the company is not going to do well because it's going to be cutthroat. So it's a catch-22 situation. They have to be good before they can get good. And, and, and that's the problem with Jim Hurd's leadership. You need, somebody, you need somebody besides Jim Hurd who can handle situations maturely and sensibly, and that just isn't occurring. Yep. Well, Jack Patrick, who is the uh, person running the place, uh, the president of World Championship Wrestling has been out of the country, from what I understand, and he'll be returning tomorrow. Uh, any gut feelings, Eddie or Wade, on how Mr. Petrick is going to handle this situation or just sweep it under the carpet? Well, I want to go on this deal real quick here, too. Okay. And I, want, I want everyone to really listen to this because I'm very, very serious about it. If you look at the whole situation from the beginning, the reason why Jack Petrick, of course, hired Jim Hurd, it wasn't uh, uh, any other reason but for being his close friend someone he could trust to run a company for him. Uh, He had been a a director of a wrestling show before. That was it. That was his only knowledge of the wrestling business. What I am going to call for, and I want everyone to please listen to this, because we need to do it now. We cannot wait any longer. Not only do we need somebody that the guys can respect, the wrestling people under them, we need a wrestling person. I don't care if it's Bill Watts. I don't care even if it's Jimmy Crockett, as long as it's a wrestling person running the company, because it's like no other company. It's like no other business. You can't make any decisions about the wrestling company unless you know wrestling. You cannot be swayed either way, because that has happened hundreds of times with Jim Hurd. Uh, I, I mean, back in my times in the committee when I was in there, when we would make a decision, we'd all leave there. And I've said this before, but someone would always get around Jim Hurd, and maybe they would take him out for a couple of drinks, and they'd give him about a half shot with whiskey or something like that, and then have, have him uh, uh, go back on the decision. 
have him go back in and change it because he didn't know the decision he was making. He does not know the wrestling business. To run that company, you need a person at the head of it that knows wrestling, that can make the decisions, like Wade was saying, where everybody can respect that person. I don't care who it is as long as they're a wrestling person. So what I'm going to call for, and, and anybody out there writes their letters into the Observer, to the Torch, and to Matt Watch, and like I said, to any of them, to any of the newsletters, in any way possible, is for Jack Petrick at the first of the year when Jim Hurd's contract is up to very much think about whether he wants a friend running that company and, and want to just go downhill or, or hire a man like a Bill Watts or anyone else that will run the company and get it out of the red and get it back into making money and run it so people will come to matches again and have respect for the business and the boys can be proud of the job they're doing and quit reading all these newsletters that, that uh, where the reports of the house shows are so bad and the ratings are bad and the, and the TV shows are bad. And we need something done now. We can't wait any longer. Because I've sat back on this thing. I've said we've all had to wait. We've got to go, got to go through all the old cronies. And I'll say that. All the old bookers, that's what they're looking at now. They're not looking at the new generation of the business that we're in. They don't respect the newsletters. They don't respect the young generation. They don't respect the new generation of wrestling minds in our business. We need it done now. We can't wait any longer. There's not going to be a WCW around. Mm -hmm. Well, Eddie, you know, you speak, uh, you speak your opinions, and those are the opinions of a lot of us who certainly uh, cover this sport. Even for its time period, John, I don't think I'd ever heard anything like that before, ever. No, there's steam coming out of the uh, of, of the of across the country and around the world right now. I mean, people's uh, audio streams are, are are just blowing up uh, because that was heat in a legitimate way, and um, you heard it. I mean, amazing stuff. And Eddie was uh, Eddie was over the top. Uh, about what was going on and uh, what he said on the show made headlines. I, I, I actually feel sorry for everybody involved. My two cents is just this. I wasn't there. I don't have a dog in the hunt, but it's all Jim Hurd. You know, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, it all boils down to who the boss was, and this all could have been prevented. It didn't need to go public the way it did. It was just, just ridiculous. I, You know... You know, none of this had anything to do with the quality of the presentation or, or, or the quality of anything. It had nothing to do with nothing but, like like Eddie said, personalities. Yeah, it's very true. So, all right, calm down. I got to. Yes, I need, uh, I need, take, I need take a Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Please, Meta. All right. A week later, you know, it continues. Yes. Show well, Here we go to show number 132 from October 20, 1991. And the great Paul Heyman, Eddie Gilbert, WCW saga continues. After some technical difficulties, John here admits he's surprised about the reaction to the previous show. And the tone of your voice in this clip, I, I, didn't, I never really heard you like this, John, before. You were uh, as worked up as everybody else. I was fired up. Boy, I tell you, the response from last week's program, something uh, I didn't anticipate. I know we had an explosive one on our hands when Eddie Gilbert let loose on the situation regarding Paulie Dangerously's suspension. I didn't expect the uproar and the controversy that has existed since 201 last Sunday. The calls I received uh from all over the wrestling industry insiders to the business uh promoters uh wrestlers 
Everybody wanted to know about Eddie Gilbert. The word spread like wildfire after we went out off the air last week. And uh, it has been a uh, pretty interesting situation, which has developed all week long. We have attempted uh, over the past week to get a hold of Mr. Jim Hurd, and uh, we were told he was on vacation for the week. Uh, Jack Petrick, uh, we couldn't even get past his secretary as far as trying to uh, get through to him. He wouldn't return any calls. Uh, we spoke to uh, Jim Ross, and uh, all Mr. Ross had to say regarding uh, last week's program, he wishes he could comment, but he cannot comic, comment publicly unless he is given approval to do so by Mr. Hurd, who gets back into town tomorrow. But Ross uh, says that everyone has their own opinion, and he's going to leave it at that, and he stands uh, by his uh, reputation in the wrestling business. So it... It caused headlines. The front page of the Wrestling Observer newsletter this week had the full transcript of uh, last week's interview with Gilbert. Matt Watch did a feature on it, headlines, as did the Pro Wrestling Torch. We will have Steve Beverly here on this program from Matt Watch at approximately 1.30 p.m. today to talk about the situation, give us any updates on what has been happening. I know... Uh, he has talked to, and he has an interview coming out tomorrow in Matt Watch with uh, Jerry Jarrett from the USWA. And Jarrett comments on Eddie Gilbert and what Gilbert said. Uh, also, Mr. Beverly's talked to Joe Petticino, who employs Eddie Gilbert. And Eddie is their TV champion right now. John, you keep making news these, these two months of shows, my friend. Yeah, well, that was what the Pro Wrestling Spotlight was all about. It was a, a newsworthy show, and it kept be getting more and more of that. I mean, uh, it, it was uh, it was a program that uh, we gave a forum, as I said before, to these uh, individuals that were in the middle of all this stuff, and there was no outlets for them, especially on the on the broadcast side. So happy to do it, and yes, we did create news, and the more news we created, the more listeners we got because they knew that this was the place where they can hear the real deal. Well, you got to give Eddie Gilbert credit because you know what? He'd, oh, yeah. been, fe he'd been fed a shit sandwich and he wasn't going to eat it. We'll That's just get it that way. You That's know, he, he, just a raw deal. What did he do? What, yeah. what could he have possibly done to, to, yeah. to stir up that much trouble? I, he, I just, he was friends with somebody. Yep. That's all it was. That's all it was. So we're going to take kind of a right turn here because uh, <laughs> here comes our friend Buddy Rogers again. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this ties into our last show. I just really want to play this clip because this is the most, this is the biggest laugh I got on this particular series of shows. So let's hear Buddy Rogers talking about a certain, a number certain one little guy, a certain little promoter, that, certain uh, number one promoter. Yes, that, a little uh, munchkin. Yes, let's 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 get to the truth of the matter with Buddy Rogers. My honest opinion is that Doctor Death could be world's champion, the world's champion. Well, he uh, certainly right now holds a title which is uh, sanctioned by the Universal Wrestling Federation. Uh, and that is something we wanted to touch base with you. We'll bring that up in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, how does it feel uh, coming back to uh, your hometown and refereeing a match, getting back inside the ring, even if it's in a referee's role? How does that feel? Well, it's going to be a real pleasure to me, John. I I've looked forward to this, to do it sometime. And it just so happened when I was up at Eurofair, 
Joel Goodhart brought it up, and by golly, I jumped at the opportunity. I have many, many friends there. I'm born and raised in that area, so, you know, it'll be like old home week to me. Well, I'm sure the fans are going to flock out to the arena next uh, week to see you and uh, wish you good luck and uh, and just uh, see Buddy Rogers back in the ring. It, uh, I know we have fans uh, who are caravaning, caravaning down from New York, and we're trying to put something together ourselves uh, so we could get down there to see this great card next week. And, uh, Buddy, and uh, I wanted to discuss this with you over the last couple of weeks. There have been reports circulating. Uh, one was in uh, the Dave Meltzer Wrestling Observer Newsletter. The other was published in Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly. And Don Liable, our, uh, our ace reporter, also had it here at the show last week in his news capsule that Buddy Rogers was returning uh, to wrestling in a commentary role or an interview type of role doing Rogers Corners for the Universal Wrestling Federation. Can you... Uh, clear the air as far as what's happening with that well let me make it very definite and very clear this guy abrams that heads the organization never contacted me never asked me if i wanted to do anything so as far as that's concerned no it is not fact Okay, so you're not going to uwf to do rogers corners uh... that's right okay all right, but, uh, you know, that uh, was circulated I'm around. I'm not opposed to doing it for any organization, but I have never been contacted by Abrams himself. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not, it's not fact. Gee, really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was another one of Herb's um, delusions. Uh, and just what? he used to talk about guys that had no, <laughs> that had no idea. Um, well, you know. guess, guess guess who used to write Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly? <clears throat> uh, I do remember somebody who's and I, very I close was, to me right now. Yes, and I was fed this particular piece of information and printed it, figuring, well, they ah. know what they're talking about, and um, I I feel stupid. Well, you were you're not you know how could you 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 were told something? Yeah. That you assumed was true, but it was a fabrication on the part of uh, Mr. Herb Abrams about that. I mean, it, obviously, he just pulled it out of his ass, as they would say on yeah. in the trade. I yeah. mean, there was no basis for this. Why? How did he even come up with it? Well, was, you know, when you're, take, on your when you're taking a massive amount of recreational pharmaceuticals every day of your life, you sometimes have uh, delusions of grandeur that are, you know, that are basic, uh, basic, a result of what you're ingesting in your in your blood system, your bloodstream. I, I, I throw my hands up in the air and say, "Gosh, my goodness." Herb always lived in a winter wonderland. <sighs> Some guys have all the luck. What can I say? I, he, yeah. he certainly lived the life, uh, yes, or at least he thought he did, anyway. I mean, he uh, his dog was named Cokie. Are you being serious with me? I'm I'm dead serious. Uh, and uh, Sunny Beach uh, inherited the dog after Curb passed. <laughs> Cokie was the dog's name, and it was a white, fluffy dog. Good thing he didn't have a brown dog. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, More fallout next. We're gonna go to show one thirty three. Yeah. From October 27, 1991. So this is the last show of the month. Last show of the month. And uh, this is one of the great show openings, I think, at least of the ones that I've heard. I, John, I didn't hear all your shows, but of all the ones I heard, this is among my top three 
I love opening segments. I love the way it was edited. I put it together after all this fallout with Pauly and um, yeah, it's uh, it's a short clip. I mean, let's play it and uh, let's give people a taste of what it was. Uh, how I opened the show that week. <laughs> There is no ground to suspend Paulie Dangerously from WCW. The only thing Paulie Dangerously is guilty of at this point in time is being my friend. It's been damn near three weeks, and, and, and their quote is philosophical differences pending a review. When the hell is my review? Uh, all the heat was put on Paulie, and Paulie's called in without them even checking out the story, without them even having proof that Paulie had done anything wrong suspended him for talking to Eddie Gilbert. I'm here to ask, I don't care if it's their attorneys, if it's Mr. Jim Hurd, if it's Mr. Jack Petrick, the president of WCW, I don't care if it's Ted Turner. I have been falsely accused. Paulie dangerously being suspended was very personal. It is not a business decision. One of my best friends in the world, and this is all I can say about this. One of my best friends in the world, Eddie Gilbert, is presently without a, several opportunities to work in this industry because of this scandal. In the WCW office, everyone there is after each other's throats. On that steering committee right now, the reason why the committee won't work now, it hasn't worked in the past, is because that everyone on the committee wants to get ahead of each other. This scandal has hurt a lot of people. It's hurt me. It's hurt my friends. It's hurt our shows. I think it's even hurt WCW, which is a company I still really care about. It's hurt Eddie Gilbert and his family. It caused him to speak out. So what I'm going to call for, and, and anybody out there writes their letters into the Observer, to the Torch, and to Matt Watch, and like I said, to any of them, to any of the newsletters, in any way possible, is for Jack Petrick at the first of the year when Jim Hurd's contract is up to very much think about whether he wants a friend running that company and, and watch it just go downhill. I'm giving him 72 hours to review the situation. I'm giving him 72 hours to sit down and meet with me. I'm giving him 72 hours to, to respond properly. But they have till Monday. At this time, 72 hours to respond to this situation, or we're going to pursue all remedies available. And Bruce will tell you about that. And quite frankly, if come Monday, they don't want to review it, I ain't interested in going back. In 2021, that would be referred to as grade A clickbait, my friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, a culmination of everything that was going on from Eddie Gilbert's appearances uh, to uh, Paul E. at the press conference at the China Club in New York City, uh, which we're going to play. Uh, it was just all of that. And I had to tie it up in a nice little little package to open up the show. And, uh, and it was uh, very powerful at the time. It really was. And uh, obviously this show is highlighted by Paul E. Dangerously and his China Club press conference, as well as an interview with John that was conducted after the conference was finished. And yeah, you, you must have been kind of on pins and needles talking to Paul right then. 
Well, I, I, I had been in conversations with Paul throughout the whole process. You know, I knew about the China Club. I, obviously, I hooked him up with the attorney that was uh, that was on his side and representing him in this legal matter. And and uh, so, yeah, and I set up the uh, uh, the talk with Paul and his attorney uh, right after that press conference was completed. And I was happy to get that uh, those those sound bites that we were able to play on the show. So, yeah, very, uh, very uh, I was right in the middle of it. It was uh, an interesting time. And, you know, and you do it because you don't know, because you still want cooperation from the office. Yeah. And you didn't know if you're going to get it. But I mean, it wasn't until Jim Hurd was eventually removed and, you know, uh, and others come down the pike as we'll be covering in future episodes here that the cooperation continued. and, And it actually got much better once Jim Hurd was out of there. Well, you know, they needed somebody with a clue. Yeah. I, I, I hate to, I hate to, you know, be that negative, but what a mess. It was a mess. What, what a giant mess involving four, five, six different people here. And it all could have been avoided. I still don't understand the motivation behind it in the first place. Uh, it, I never will. None of it, none of it have ever, should have ever, it shouldn't have never got this far. Let's put it that way. And I, I know we have a, the press conference too so uh, why don't we go into that bob this is a most distressing situation because and excuse my language my lawyer is about to shut my mouth but it's all bull there is no ground to suspend paulie dangerously from wcw there is no foundation to their claims i'm going to tread i'm going to walk water real easily here all the evidence is to the contrary and I'm here today to say on the record, once and for all, it's been damn near three weeks, and, and, and their quote is, philosophical differences pending a review. When the hell is my review? When's the hearing? When's the investigation? When are they going to even take a glance at the evidence? I am not here to, to bitch about anybody. I am not here... To say that I'm dissatisfied with anybody's job and that they're doing, I'm not here to call for anybody's head. I'm here to ask, I don't care if it's their attorneys, if it's Mr. Jim Hurd, if it's Mr. Jack Petrick, the president of WCW, I don't care if it's Ted Turner. I have been falsely accused say announcer information pertaining to the show of repeating information that only an announcer would know that pertains to the show and I was not privy to such information that's the bottom line that's that's my answer to their allegation that you've read in the Miami Herald in the Wrestling Observer, the Torch, Matt Watch. That's my response to it. On the record, I'll tell you this. I'm giving them 72 hours to, to do a review. It is 1.30 or 1.45 in the afternoon on Friday, which gives them till Monday, which makes it three weeks since I've been suspended. Three weeks that you people have gone on the air. Three weeks that you people have gone on the record. Three weeks that everybody has printed what the facts truly are. No review. 
no hearing. Let alone the fact that there's been, there's been no warrant, there's been no arrest, no grand jury, no indictment, no trial by my peers, no sentencing, no conviction, nothing. There's not even been somebody to pick up a piece of paper and look into the situation. It's caused a lot of distress for me, it's caused a lot of distress for my friends, one of my best friends in the world, and this is all I can say about this. One of my best friends in the world, Eddie Gilbert, is presently without a, several opportunities to work in this industry because of this scandal. This scandal has hurt a lot of people. It's hurt me. It's hurt my friends. It's hurt our shows. I think it's even hurt WCW, which is a company I still really care about. It's hurt Eddie Gilbert and his family. It caused him to speak out. It's not fair. I'm giving him 72 hours to review the situation. I'm giving him 72 hours to sit down and meet with me. I'm giving him 72 hours to, to respond properly. Their response, Bruce will tell you about. They have to respond properly to this. They have to look into it. They have to sit down with me. They have to sit down with Bruce. They have to sit down with somebody. I'll go to Halloween Havoc if they want me to. I'll sit down with them there. Hell, I'll do it on the air. I'll go out on the pay-per-view on the air if they want me to. Or I'll do it behind the scenes, or I'll do it at the hotel, or I'll do it in a car, or I'll go out to dinner with them if they want me to. But they have till Monday, at this time, 72 hours to respond to this situation, or we're going to pursue all remedies available. And Bruce will tell you about that. And quite frankly, if come Monday, they don't want to review it, I ain't interested in going back. Okay, that's Paulie Dangerously and uh, some very powerful statements from Paulie. The last word that we got from Paulie uh, was that there has been some communication. Now, he wants to be on TV tonight. He wants to be everything resolved by this Halloween Havoc deal tonight. And he wants to reappear on WCW tonight on Halloween Havoc. Whether that happens, we don't know. Uh, the 48 hours has elapsed. Tomorrow it'll make it 72 hours. And uh, that'll be it. And then uh, you'll see some litigation, I'm sure, between these parties. Now, we had a chance to talk to both Paulie Dangerously and his attorney, Bruce Gold, directly after the press conference. And uh, we had some great comments from them. And we got a little bit more specific about some of these events that have been taking place. Let's go to that now. The press conference with Paulie Dangerously and his attorney, Bruce Gold. And uh, Paulie, first of all, was a very emotional uh, Paulie Dangerously that uh, just spoke to... Uh, an assembly of wrestling media and other media here at the China Club. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's, that's, you're on a roll today, ain't you? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, you know, as we mentioned during the uh, press conference, uh, you've now given WCW 72 hours as of right now to respond to yeah, you. Yeah, that's about 24 hours after the show will air. Yeah, about 24 hours. Um, do you feel that they're going to respond over that 72-hour period? I would say, in my opinion, it would be... Uh, it's just my opinion now. Okay, nobody else's. It's an assessment of a situation. It's an analytical viewpoint that it would be a good business maneuver for them to do so. Because, like I said, they have 72 hours from now, which is 24 hours after this show airs. That's three weeks since I've been suspended. 
They don't want to deal with me. If, if their only response to all this is grammar in a legal letter, then come tomorrow, there's not a proper response or review or hearing or investigation or contact or discussion. Then I'm off the record again. I'm going to the Knicks games. I'm watching LT play football. I'm hanging out in, at the China Club, and all discussions will be held with, by my attorney, Bruce Gold. And they will have to, at some point, respond to Paul and to me at, at that juncture. Uh, they'll really be given no choice, and it won't be on a friendly basis as it can be at this point. It will be through legal papers. Okay, now you've uh, mentioned grammar several times in your letter that you received from uh, World Championship Wrestling. Bruce received it, yeah. Uh, Bruce received from World Championship Wrestling. Now what was uh, the grammar that they were referring to? Was it in an office meeting with Mr. Hurd? Was it something no, no, no. he said on the this, air? This was, was a, uh, this was a response to a letter that I had written to, uh, to WCW. And uh, rather than a straight denial, uh, they uh, they decided uh, to comment on my literary style. I thought that was rather cute since uh, my wife is an English teacher and she checks my grammar before anything goes out. Uh, I will say that I was somewhat offended by the condescending nature of the of the letter and let it go at that. Uh, I've already spent my uh, spent my venom. Uh, the grammar of, of uh, legal documents uh, is, is a lot easier to deal with. I find it very amusing uh, because it's stated on my show on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, you know, Paulie didn't say this, Eddie Gilbert said it, that a lot of the things they do in that office is personal. Now, not business, so it seems as though maybe they're doing a personal attack on you and the grammar, uh, which is not even a business uh, standpoint, uh, that really, uh, it doesn't surprise me, but it just uh, is in conjunction with what I've heard uh, from various people in the wrestling business that everything they do in that office is personal. Um, that had really, in my opinion, nothing to do with the situation at all, and it just, uh, uh, it just is in tune with everything they've done revolving the situation, in my opinion. Well, John, I'll, I'll, that, that's your analysis of it, and we'll let it go with that. I don't want to be in a position where I'm throwing, uh, throwing a match into oily waters uh, on Paul's behalf. But really, my job at this point is to uh, convince WCW to be reasonable and to speak reasonably man-to-man -man with Paul so we can get it resolved quickly uh, and at, at, at little cost to anybody because this type of a matter can get very expensive very quickly. Well, it's just uh, something that the company is going to have to address. And, Paul, you certainly had uh, your show of support here, receiving a jersey from Lawrence Taylor, a gold record from Andrew Dice Clay, and even Lisa Sliwa, uh, who you've uh, talked about on Pro Wrestling New York a number of times. Uh, they all came out here, either with a representative or Lisa herself, to show... Uh, her support and a guardian angel support uh, for your plight right now. Uh, that must make you feel good as, as far as all these people now coming to your support and coming uh, uh, to wish you well. Look, Pro Wrestling New York became a success because we customized it, we tailor-made it for New York. Everything about that show was about New York. We did not discuss Joe Montana. We discussed Lawrence Taylor. We did not discuss Diane Feinstein. We discussed Ed Koch.
Mayor Dinkins, Governor Cuomo. I never talked about George Bush. I talked about Bill Bradley. This is a New York show for New Yorkers, for New Jersey people, for Connecticut people, despite what I think of New Jersey. And whether the Sliwa's like what I say or not, this promotes tourism here. This is good for business in New York. This is a New York show. This is a New York type of thing. And the one thing you have to say about New Yorkers, and this is why so many people in the other 47 states besides New York, New Jersey, Connecticut hate Polly Dangerously so much is New Yorkers will fight each other to the bitter end, but when somebody from the outside attacks a New Yorker, we unite together. And it looks to me like a bunch of New Yorkers. Lawrence Taylor, I know he's from the South, but he's adopted this as his home because he can, now can afford to live in the North where life is a lot better. And um, Lisa Sliwa, who's from Illinois, and now lives in New York because life is better. And Dice Clay, who really has made Brooklyn what, what his life is all about, even though he's hanging out in L.A. now and couldn't make it because I understand he's involved in a new record thing. And he sent over the gold record, which is most flattering. And the message, he knows what it feels like. I'm sure he does. Uh, it's just typical of New Yorkers, you know. We stick together, which is why so many other people out there hate New Yorkers, because we stick together when, when we're attacked from the outside. It would appear to me that WCW really is cutting their own throat. Uh, they acquired a time slot on WPIX, and I'm sure moving over to WCBS, uh, partially because they have localized uh, this particular wrestling show. Uh, now with them not having a New York flavor to it and having someone from Oklahoma, Jim Ross is an excellent wrestling announcer, perhaps the best, the best in the business. The uh, not really having that type of New York flavor. When a New York viewer watches the Pro Wrestling New York show and hears about Florida State and uh, Oklahoma and football from yeah. that region and not talking about New York issues, uh, it may tend, in my opinion, to uh, decrease those ratings pretty quickly. Um, do you have any comment the, as far The numbers as, will tell the story, John. Yeah, the numbers will tell the story, Captain. You know, the numbers are going to tell the story, and to me, you know, um, I am not saying Pro Wrestling New York cannot be done without me. I'm insulted, as a New Yorker, that they haven't contacted anybody. Not John Arezzi, not Freddie Blassie, not Lou Albano, not Dice Clay, not Curtis Lewa, not Howard Stern, nobody. They have contacted nobody from this region to be involved in that show, to have input within that program. As far as I know, they have not done that. If they've done it, it's not to, it's unbeknownst to me. And I would assume that if they would do something like that, that they would at least publicize it. Because they'd want New Yorkers to know that we're still going to keep a local flavor on the show. And, and from what I can ascertain, they're not. And as a New Yorker, that bothers me. That's why I'm so damn proud of that show, John, is because it was for New York. And, you know, Jersey and Connecticut, you know, except what's in Jersey but toxic waste dumps. True. Uh, reading the Pro Wrestling Torch, uh, the current current issue that uh, came out, comments were made by Jerry Lawler. I, know, I understand you cannot comment on him personally uh, regarding that Paulie Dangerously had uh, no business being in the wrestling business, that you added nothing to wrestling. Um, do you love pro wrestling, Paulie? Yes, I love pro wrestling. Yes, I respect pro wrestling. John, I've been on the record, and Jim Ross and I have argued about this at Thanksgiving Thunder last year, when I made the comment to him, you have never been in the ring, 
You have never been knocked down. You don't know what it's like. Therefore, how can you pass judgments on the wrestlers? I've been in the ring. I've had my knees blown out. I've had my jaw dislocated. I've had my shoulder separated. I have had stitches put in my head. Uh, I have had assorted ankle injuries on my left ankle. I've broken the total, I've, I've broken four ribs, a total of uh, six rib injuries. You know, like I, I broke a couple of them twice. Uh, I've had eight fingers broken. Um, I, I've, I've had uh, an elbow that, was, uh, that had to be drained four times within two weeks. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, and, and that, I was just a manager. Now imagine what a wrestler goes through. I have said on the record that I'm not big enough to be a wrestler. I'm not bad enough to be a wrestler. I admire what these guys do. I wish that I had the physical ability to do what these athletes do each and every night. And even if I did have the physical ability, I don't have the chutzpah, for lack of a better term, or inappropriate term, um, to do that particular job. I don't have it. Uh, and it takes a tremendous individual and a very unique individual to do that particular job. I don't have it in me to do it. I admire those who do. And anybody that could ever make the judgment after I've dedicated 13 years of my life with magazines, photography, and fan clubs, and then five years being known as Paulie Dangerously, anybody that can pass a judgment that I don't respect this business, I don't love this business, or that I haven't contributed to this business, I would say, without, without naming names or even pointing any particular case, that I would suggest that that person comes to come to grip that this is 1991. Because whoever would make such a judgment does not comprehend the evolution of this industry. Well, the business has certainly changed since uh, you first started following it. I think you were 13 years of age and myself 14 with a Fred Blassie fan club where uh, press conferences like this would... Uh, uh, would be unheard of. It would never happen back in the stone ages of pro wrestling. The business has changed. And the majority of listeners to my program that you're reinstated to World Championship Wrestling and continue to entertain the fans around the country. John, I'm not even asking for a reinstatement. I'm asking for simply to, for the facts to be looked at, just to be glanced at, just to be acknowledged. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying reinstate me. You know, look at the facts. If you still think that I don't deserve to come back on the air, well, that's your decision. And that's a decision that whomever makes those decisions is entitled to make. But just look at the facts. Acknowledge that there are facts out there. Acknowledge that this is still alive and well. That this is still a burning issue. I'm 26 years old and I'm not being allowed to do the job that I've, I've been employed to do. That I have worked all my life. I've worked all my life to achieve this position. And uh, Dennis Miller, who used to be on Saturday Night Live, said a joke Monday night when I was talking to him about this kind of candidly because he's been, you know, as an entertainer in, in, in similar, but it's different businesses, but you know what I'm saying. And uh, I said, you know, I, it, it distresses me that I've worked 13 years of my life to get where I am. He goes, oh, you mean sitting at home unemployed? You know, and that distresses me that I'm sitting at home after 13 years, not being able to do the job which I am, in my opinion, qualified to do. I want the opportunity to do it. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not even asking for the opportunity to do my job. I'm asking for someone to acknowledge the facts. Just, just, 
say, okay, we've looked at them. We haven't changed our mind. Okay, fine. At least look at them. Tell me that you've looked at them. Tell me. Don't, don't tell me about grammar. In a lawyer's letter, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Acknowledge the fact that this exists. We're not on television saying this promotion doesn't exist. We're the only promotion in the world. We're, this is real life, man. I'm sitting at home not being able to do my job. I want to do my job. I want the opportunity to do my job. I want, I want to at least know that somebody has looked at the facts and, and made a judgment on them. That's all I ask for. Give me a review. Hey, Paulie, listen, thanks a lot for your time today. And, Bruce, thank you very much. And uh, I wish you guys success with this plight. And uh, hopefully things will uh, work out for both of you. Thank you, John. Thanks, Paulie. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a lot to absorb right there. John, I have this is my big question. Mm-hmm. The aftermath of all this. Yeah. My my memory of it is a little fuzzy because of people changing jobs and whatnot. How was all this resolved in the end for, for the fans who might not know? Paulie threatened them with a seventy two hour notice and it was it was resolved and he was back on television. And uh I I can't speak with a hundred percent accuracy, but I think he also got some sort of, uh, uh, retribution, uh, for the troubles that were put in and put, put upon him. So, but he was back on TV shortly thereafter. Amazing. And Eddie, of course, uh, yeah, Eddie's life spiraled in ways that, uh, would eventually lead to his, um, his unfortunate demise. I attended an ECW show. I had I hadn't been. You, you know, I was involved with them early on, and I attended a uh, ECW show uh, after Eddie had had just passed, and uh, more than a few people there were absolutely crushed. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't yeah. blame them because yeah. uh, he meant so much to so many people. He really left his mark in Philadelphia. There's no question. Oh, he, but people people did. tend to forget that little period in his career. But he really left his mark in Philly and really set the stage for what was about to occur once like Paul Lee came in. Yeah, I think, uh, and we'll get to that in the future too. I mean, but, um, you know, because of Eddie's demons and everything that was going on with him personally in his life, uh, even his dear friendship with Paul, uh, became very strained during that time period. Um, because Eddie really was not reliable, uh, towards the end, and that's what led to his ouster in a lot of ways at ECW. I mean, uh, so, you know, it's not talked about a lot, and I'm sure it's still a sore subject if you if I ever get a chance to speak to Paul again. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a sad, sad ending to a, uh, a career that could have been uh, incredibly uh, brilliant, and everything he did was brilliant, but um, we miss Eddie. Well, I, I, I missed the classic era of Memphis wrestling, and he was such a big part of that history. And I'm, I'm still convinced that if given the opportunity, he could have taken a little of that flavor and brought it into a national stage and yeah. done it brilliantly. And that's that's the, the you know, that's just sad that it never occurred. Yeah, it could have taken place. Well, we got uh, one last bit here, uh, and this is also something that got us in a lot of trouble. When uh, the three oh, yeah. of us, the three of us, I mean, uh, reported on what was going on on the West Coast in the historic uh, first series of matches between Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. That's right. We have a roundtable here with uh, John Rizzi, Dave Meltzer, and Wade Keller. 
about what was likely the first in the botched initial <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair series of matches. So let's go to these three wrestling journalists and get the full scoop. Okay, first of all, what do you think of a, a concept of WCW and WWF co-promoting a couple of shows? Hasn't Jim Hurd been cooperating with the WWF for the last three years? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's anything new. <laughs> I guess he is co-promoting if you put it that way. <laughs> I mean, he gave he gave him Ric Flair, and he, he, he's co-promoting, and he's uh, not even uh, taking any money for. It. He's such a generous guy. Yeah, but he feels guilty about the money he's taking from Ted Turner to lose money for his own group. <laughs> so he won't accept money from Titan because he gets enough. Yeah. What do you think his Christmas bonus will be from uh, Turner Organization? That's Mister. You, you mean you don't mean from the Turner Organization? You mean from the Titan Organization? <laughs> <laughs> We're treading water here, guys. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, both of you. We're out in, uh, well, Dave, you were in California. Obviously, you lived there. But Wade uh, uh, chartered a uh, chartered a plane <laughs> because of all the revenues he's been making from the Pro Wrestling Torch and his new endeavors on uh, K-Fan and chartered his own private plane. Uh, it was called the Nature Boy and flew out to California to see this uh, great uh, match between Flair and Hogan. Now, both of you were there uh, sitting near Dr. Michael Aino. Who, uh, I wasn't I, I getting get, anywhere near get, Dr. Mike. I guess he was. Match. I guess Dr. Mike was uh, your security uh, person. <laughs> he was protecting you from outside. Uh, Mike, Mike was protecting us from something. I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Maybe from, I, I can't. I can't. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's get into the match. Uh, Hogan and Flair. Now they wrestled. Uh, what was it the Oakland, California on Friday yeah. night? Or yeah, Los Angeles. And how did that go? Both of your opinions. A uh, day first. Well, it went 11 minutes and 35 seconds, and uh, um, Flair was disqualified for hitting Hogan with a foreign object, although um, before it was it was actually a reverse decision. Flair hit him with the object and got a three count, and then um, a second referee and Dave Hebner ran out of the ring and danced around the ring and over-pantomimed and <laughs> handed the belt back to Hogan. And then after the match, Flair put the figure four on Hogan for, you know, a while, got out of the ring, um, and Hogan was helped out of the ring. And was limping to the back and did not pose afterwards, which is a first for here. <laughs> um, and very, you know, he virtually never does that at a house show. So it was a it was a strong finish for Flair. Okay, now uh, this is a match that's been so, so anticipated by the casual fan. Well, not so much a casual fan, but a, especially the hardcore fan. Uh, was there that aura of excitement uh, before this match uh, went into the ring? I would say yes. I would say there was a certain aura that there was something special about to happen um i don't think it's as special as if this was presented as like the one and only flair hogan encounter or the first one and it was going to be on pay-per-view um just because i think you know most of the fifteen thousand give or take fans there knew that this wasn't on pay-per-view and that there would probably be more um flair hogan matches i think there was a, a little i mean there was obviously anticipation just because a lot i noticed quite a few people leaving after the flair hogan match uh, well, there were the, a lot the, of, the other thing is just the number of people in the crowd. It was probably the biggest crowd. Um, I think it was it, probably in, in four or five years here. So that that says that the anticipation level was, and, and it was uh, it was real the, hot the before the show level. ever started. I think the, there was definitely. I mean, the interest level is shown by the crowd, but the anticipation level, I think, you have to experience by being there. And I think that there was an, there was an anticipation level, but I I don't think that it was at the level of had this been a WrestleMania at Oakland Coliseum and it, and it was their first encounter after six months of promotion. Yeah. Now the uh, the crowd was a near capacity crowd. Um, it didn't go on last. It wasn't the last match of the night. It was on fourth. 
they had to uh, announce, because of the controversial finish, they needed time to announce a rematch. Okay, so there will be a rematch taking place there then? It'll yeah, be November 15th. Any so that'll be the first. No, that'll be, be at the, the Call Palace. Market where they get the second match, too. And that'll be at the Call Palace. Yeah. Okay, it, were any special stipulations about a rematch? No. Okay. Uh, now, for both of you uh, rating this match, uh, obviously Flair's a great worker and Hogan has a lot of charisma. Uh, how did Hogan perform with Flair inside the ring? What type of match was it? How many stars would you give it? I gave it uh, three or three and a quarter stars. Um, I thought I w- it was what you would expect with Hogan being out of action for uh, you know what two months. Um, it's what you would expect out of the match. It was it saw everything Flair does well. He did. Um, it saw Hogan, you know, have a decent match. It wasn't. I've seen much better matches between Hogan and Bossman and Hogan and Henning, um, but you know those matches were were. You know, some of them were in the cage, and you know, there was a culmination of a feud with blood, and and they went longer. Um, I just, I just got the feeling that uh, the matches are going to get a lot better as as they work with each other a lot more, and uh, and and Hogan gets back into uh, wrestling shape. Um, I'm sure wrestling is like riding a bike. You always remember how to do it, but I also think there's a certain level of uh, of rustiness that Hogan developed over the last two months. So, I I think the, the you know the match was good. It wasn't uh, it wasn't special. It was a, it wasn't overly special. Um, I thought that the finish of the match and having Hogan shoulders to the mat for a clean three count, after well clean meaning he got hit with press knuckles. Uh, I, I still I thought that was special. I thought it was special that Hogan was counted out of the ring. Um, I, overall, though, it, it wasn't disappointing, but it wasn't anything more than I expected either. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, one of the uh, they're and they're going to wrestle again tonight. Yeah, they wrestled last night in Los Angeles, and I don't know how that went. And they're wrestling tonight in uh, Tempe, Arizona, and then they'll be wrestling a couple of shows, uh, I think Denver and Pittsburgh, um, and one or two other places next week. And okay, they'll so be wrestling every weekend from now until uh, um, probably until uh, you know middle of January at least. Okay. Now, the scenarios that people have been talking about, obviously with Sid Justice's injury, uh, changes a lot of the plans. Uh, a- actually, actually, when it comes to, to um, Hogan and Flair, it doesn't change any plans. Uh-huh. What do you anticipate happening uh, with this, Dave and Wade, uh, as far as the future scenarios go? Do you think Flair will any in any way uh, get the title from uh, from somebody to defend it against Hogan at WrestleMania? I don't. Um, I think that uh, the the maximum. I think I said this before. I think the maximum profit uh, revenue that the WWF could get for a WrestleMania would be for Flair to be champion, defending against Hogan, and um, Hogan putting his career on the line if he doesn't win. But I don't think that it's going to go that way. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to go. I think that Hogan will go in as champ. Hogan I, will go into WrestleMania's champ, Wade? I, I think I agree with Dave as far as what would be the biggest moneymaker. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't have speculation one way or the other if Flair will get the belt. Um, I guess if, if the speculated scenario of uh, Undertaker beating Hogan at Survivor Series and Sid beating Undertaker six days later and then... Flair beating Sid at the Royal Rumble, and then Hogan versus in challenging Flair at WrestleMania had come about. That that wouldn't have surprised me. I think that would would have been you know one of the better routes, I guess. Um, but you know I don't think that was ever expected to happen. Uh, yeah, that was never that was never planned to happen. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I don't know if it'd be. A, I think it would be a good move to give Flair the belt. I just don't know how they would uh, go about giving it to him. But I, I won't rule out though Flair getting the belt at Royal Rumble. Okay. Uh, so the matches, uh, were they a personal uh, disappointment, or did you enjoy them? 
Uh, both of your personal opinions first with Dave. Um, well, as far as the whole card, it was just a typical Titan card. Um, anyone who thinks that uh, Ric Flair um, being in Titan is going to elevate anyone else's work rate is um, mistaken. Um, the <laughs> night before in Sacramento, which I went to, was probably the worst undercard um, of a Titan show that um, I can rec- ever recall seeing. In Oakland, it was um, it was a, I, I felt it was just another an average WWF undercard in that you know there was one match that was pretty decent. And the rest of the matches, you know, were ranging from different stages of bad. Um, you know, it, nothing was was horrible or anything like that. We're in Sacramento. Um, you know, most of the undercard was horrible. And Flair was on that show, too, with Roddy Piper. So um, I, I see, you know, the, the main events, I think, with Flair are going to be a tad better or, or, con- or considerably better maybe down the road than WWF main events usually are. But I think that the rest of the card is going to be the same as the rest of the cards have always been. And I think part of the, part of the problem was the Rockers and Teddy Biasi um, weren't on the undercard, and usually you can expect out of them at least a good bad match, um, if not a good match. Uh, and and I mean the undercard was just filled with the typical. Uh, the yeah, they typical really loaded the undercard up with the guys who uh, usually don't work. Exactly. So you know it was it was uh, as bad as, uh, as as the average Titan show is, and nothing special happened except the Flair Hogan match, and you know it was, it was worthwhile. I mean I I don't. Anymore, come, I don't expect to be entertained at WWF shows anymore, um, except for a rare match like you know Ric Flair. Um, you know, I just there's there's very few times that it's entertaining from the aspect of quality wrestling. It's entertaining to see how many screwed up moves uh, these guys who have been in the sport 12 years are going to make. Hmm. Okay, well we appreciate you guys' opinions of coming on here today. Lastly, uh, tonight uh, WCW has its next pay-per-view show, head to head against the seventh game of the World Series. And uh, also here in this area, the Redskins and the Giants. Um, Halloween Havoc is scheduled for tonight. And um, any last-minute surprises have you? Have any of you guys heard? Uh, uh, Rick Rude is he coming in as anticipated? Rick Rude, Rick Rude is there, and Paulie is there also. Okay, Paulie will be there tonight. Um, I don't know if he will be on. I don't know if he will be on. I just know he's in. I know that he is in uh, Chattanooga right now, and I know that uh, as of about an hour ago. Um, they didn't know if he was going to be on or not. Okay. Uh, they're talking about it, and uh, they're you know they're negotiating. Paulie has his ideas. I think of what he wants to do, and maybe they have their ideas too. I don't know, but so, um, so hopefully that'll be rehashed. That's a that's a good reason to tune in just to see if Paulie will reemerge in WCW tonight. But uh, all the guys, with the exception of Wyndham, all of the injured guys will be working. Simmons, um, as far as I know, Simmons is going to work, and. Uh, Diamond Stud and Pillman and El Gigante and, and, and Scott Steiner are all there, and they're all going to work. Okay, they took Oz out of the uh, Chamber of Horrors. Yeah. Uh, now, is Cactus Jack going to be appearing in that? Yeah, Cactus, I, I, I don't know this 100% for sure, but I believe that the uh, the villain team, the Chamber of Horrors is going to be the opening match on the card, by the way. It will be. And, yeah, and I believe that uh, the, the, the heel team is going to be Cactus Jack, Abdullah, um, Diamond Stud, and... Um, Boy, am I missing somebody? Chip shows how excited I am about Chip, this. Chip the Firebreaker is turned, I heard. <laughs> He's now called Chip the Arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. <laughs> Who's the fourth guy in that match? Uh, I'll look it up. I've got it written here somewhere. I just I just got done with my radio show and oh, couldn't had, remember either. Uh, Van Vader. Had, Van Vader. Oh, Van Vader. Yeah, Van Vader. That's right. He's on the heel team? 
Um, that's yeah. pretty. That's that. that I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be the fourth guy. Yeah, he was introduced uh, on TV, TBS yesterday as uh, as a heel. Jim Ross described, you know, said that he's been a fan favorite sometimes, but now he's coming back to destroy. Blah blah blah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Van Vader. I know that Van Vader is down there too. So yeah, I think that makes. Yeah, so I know he's a, down there. Is a, a, a Steiner Sting and El Gigante against Abdullah, Cactus Jack, Stud, and Vader. Well, certainly with the uh, air of Halloween and the air of mystery in the air tonight, this will be a mysterious card. Uh, I wonder if the buy rate will be as mysterious. Yeah, I think I think I think it, the biggest blow. Uh, I you know a lot of people argue about the effects that other sports and other TV shows, et cetera, have on pro wrestling events. But I think for a pay event, when uh, the promotion, I don't, I just don't think they have a super hot match on the show. I just don't think that. I think people are going to pass it up who who haven't pre-ordered it. Um, to watch Game 7 of the World Series, especially since the games have been so exciting. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it'll be an under-a-one buy rate situation? I, I, I think it'll be... You know, the, the other thing, though, is traditionally, okay, traditionally uh, this time of year, and they've gone against World Series games before and, and done real well on pay-per-view. So um, that's a factor, too, but I I think it'll be under-a-one. One of the things to consider, too, not that it's a huge factor, but the Atlanta Braves are in the series, and one of WCW's... Uh, well, WCW is based out of Atlanta, yeah. so I think that one of the biggest things is going to—it's going to for sure damage the replay. Is going to be an alternative for a lot of people. Well, I, yeah. I know the Atlanta Braves certainly have captured the hearts of the people in the South. They've been waiting for this for such a long time, and I think their love for the Braves certainly is going to outshadow uh, wrestling tonight. Yeah, and, but, uh, but just the, the creatures are going to be uh, Joey Mags and uh, Johnny Rich. So, John, the aftermath of this was pretty tough on you, wasn't it? Well, I mean, we got the call. I got the call. It's like, you know, they just started cooperating somewhat by giving me Freddie Blassie. And and then it was like, you're giving away the finishes. Uh, you're ruining the business. And so we're not cooperating with you anymore. So the backlash was swift and quick. And that was kind of the end of any cooperation with the WWF uh, after we talked about the botched a series of matches with Hogan and Flair, which really should have been built up to WrestleMania, and it wasn't. And of course, Flair eventually gets the belt uh, in some in uh, the Royal Rumble. So, but yeah, that was an interesting. It was an interesting episode today, wasn't it? Yes, it was. By the way, I was I was at that Royal Rumble. I was personally at that card when uh, Flair emerged with the title. And they, you guys also talked about the uh, classic Halloween Havoc opening match. The uh, Chamber oh, of Horrors, yeah. with French fried Abdullah at the end. Um, yes, that was a uh, that was another uh, outrageously uh, ill-planned uh, angle uh, because that was just so silly, electrocuting Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, yes, uh, and and e- even the lever, even the uh, the yeah, the lever on the cage that Cactus Jack was supposed to pull was faulty in that match. I know. Every- I was- I was with him the other day, actually. Yes, Jack, and and uh, he remembers that pretty. He did a great job here in Nashville, uh, telling his stories about his wrestling career. It was great to see him, and uh, we we're going to bring him. Back. We're going to bring him on the show. Uh, I told you know we talked about all the great things that he did, and but anyway, getting back to this, it was just kind of crazy. You know what? It was it was funny because I got a uh, I got a, a a private message on my Patreon uh, a few days ago, and. Uh, the uh, I forgot the person's name or else I'd mention it, but they were like, can't wait to hear you talk about Halloween Havoc. I'm watching it right now and I can't <laughs> wait to listen to the show. So to hear how you how you talked about it. So uh, this is for you. You'll you'll get to hear it. 
So uh, I guess that's going to wrap it up for uh, this week, Bob. I mean, it was a full episode, you know. Uh, you know, I, 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 I really had a blast pulling this one together and, and oh, listening yeah. to all these shows because, yeah, the, the hilarity of Herb Abrams. You yep. had the brilliance of Eddie Gilbert, and yep. you had probably one of the, well, even in a year full of controversies, one of the biggest controversies of the year with the Paulie Dangerously situation. So. Yeah, it was quite a month. I mean, it, it was a little bit of everything, and it was probably one of the most historic months in the history of pro wrestling spotlight, just because of the content, the stories yeah. that broke, uh, our coverage, and the the list of guests that appeared. Uh, when you go to, from the from all of them, I mean, it's uh it's going to be a great episode for everybody to enjoy. So uh, uh, we're going to wrap up today's edition. I do want to mention before we go uh, that uh, our Patreon account is doing well uh and now that we're distributed uh internationally around the world with the podcast we hope more people will sign up five bucks get you in the door and it really helps the production of the show we have a graphic uh supervisor uh, who's building up our youtube channel who's doing all of these graphics and all these edits for the youtube channel which is now really youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight uh, patreon.com uh, slash John Arezzi is the place. Five bucks gets you in the door. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at John Arezzi. Instagram is at John Arezzi as well. If you'd like a signed and numbered copy of my book, Matt Memories, just send me an email, john at mattmemories.com. And merchandise had a great meeting with uh, Christian Theodore from Forward Merch. New t-shirt designs are being made right now. Alex, I think you need a shirt uh, made of yourself. Uh, and Bob, uh, you know, let's get some merch for you guys as well. What do you think? Yes, let's. Yeah, so we should do a conference call and just exchange some ideas with him. What uh, upright walking mammal would want me on a T-shirt? Hey, you never know. I, I you, mean, you, you could put yourself in your, you know, you could you do your musician deal. Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, I, there used to be Robert Charles T-shirts. Yes, there yeah. were, but they didn't have any photos on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll figure all that out with Christian Theodore. He's very excited about launching a new line for us. And if you want any uh, T-shirts right now, we have posters. Uh, we're getting more coffee mugs designed and everything. So go to tinyurl.com slash store. That, again, is tinyurl.com slash store. I'm very happy to say that the podcast is getting great reviews on Apple. Uh, it's all five stars so far, so that really helps the show. Go to if – you're, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, give this show a five-star review. Write a little review about us. It really is going to help us with uh, monetizing it, with advertising coming up. And, and by the way, if you do – you know, there are commercials in this episode, as there are in each and every one of them now. If you want to hear the show commercial-free, you become a patron, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And uh, next week – We'll have uh, the original broadcast from the first couple of weeks in November 1991. We're almost all caught up now. And we have a lot of journalists coming on over the next few weeks. Alex Marvez, who is with AEW now, but uh, has spent many, many years as a journalist for the Miami Herald. Uh, storied career there. Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, many, many more. I'd like to remind everybody that John Aresi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast is a production of Matt Memories, LLC. Our co-host is Bob Smith. Our producer and editor is the wonderful Alex Robertson. A-Rob to all of you out there. And Pro Wrestling Spotlight's creative manager is our friend Marsh. Simply goes as Marsh. Until next week, when we share more history with you, this is John Aresi 
for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.